season five of Headcanon. I'm James. And I'm Marco Spark. What up? What up? What up? What up? We're back. Yeah, we are. Wow. Such enthusiasm. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, we're doing like a 90s month, yeah? Yeah, we uh, really kind of flushed our last season down the toilet there with that awful Zack Snyder movie. But, you know, mm. we took a few months off to enrich our souls, get a little bit of that hot back summer, and we're mm-hmm. back now. And I guess we're talking about some 90s movies. Somebody asked me the other day, what was the last movie we did? And I said, oh, I thought it was Beetlejuice. And then mm. I was like, and then my memory kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what fart to go out on. Uh, in the words of Henry Cavill in that movie, unimpressed. <laughs> <laughs> but we're back. This week we're going to be talking about Gross Point Blank. And we've got some more 90s and maybe early 2000s-ish movies lined up over the next few weeks. So it should be a lot of fun. We've got some guests. Yeah. yeah. We'll do our thing. Um, you may have missed it in the interim between the, our last season and this one. We did a whole podcast on the TV show Cruel Summer one episode for each episode of the show. So it's called the cruel summer podcast. You can find it on iTunes or whatever. If you want, if you watch the show, I think you'll enjoy it. You should watch the show. It's a good show. It's only 10 episodes. So yeah, kind of like we, we used to, I mean, I'm like, like however people podcast about TV shows, I guess we figured that out. Mm-hmm. A little weekly thing. Mm-hmm. Not that we have any experience with that in the past or anything. No. I know somebody asked when we're going to do season two of PLL. Never. I don't know. Um, We'll see. Do we need to uh, get into an Instagram flame war about uh, ownership of the podcast? And uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. uh, And vaccinations. Long way from Trail Book 3 coming out. So we'll we'll see when you need to market that. (laughs) Wow. But having Ryan again, so that's fun. Yeah, there we go. It's fun to write about going to Prague when I've never been to Prague, been to Prague, you know. I've been to Prague, been to Prague. You have seen that movie though, right? Kicking and Screaming, of course. Yeah, didn't I, I made you watch that, I think. Oh, you made me watch it. Okay. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Sure. Take You're credit. Welcome. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of 90s movies, well, uh, before we talk about Gross Point Plank, you have to remember how to podcast here, get back to uh, all, our, all the old usual topics what are you watching uh ted lasso again um do they release that all at once or like one episode at a time no they're doing it one episode at a time yeah you should know that Mm -hmm. um ted lasso i hear it's very wholesome ish it's got it's got some wholesome vibes it's uh it's a little bit mean in places and i like Mm. that okay i like mean yeah do we want to talk about i don't know like black widow or loki at all what do you have to say about black widow that's the thing we're always threatening to like do all the marvel movies but when it comes right down to it i'm not sure if i have a ton to say about them at least nothing that would be very interesting i enjoy them all i I never not that i went to theater for black widow but i never leave the theater for marvel movie thinking like that sucked like i'm always like that was fun but uh, even for like you know thor 2 but i'm i just don't know i don't know if they really like hit me at like a a deep emotional level Mm mm-hmm they're just kind of enjoyable. They're a fun little roller coaster ride. Um, there are like, better Marvel movies. There are worse Marvel movies. I was really digging the vibe about like 20 to 30 minutes into Black Widow when it was just like her like doing her kind of like living like uh, Walter White and, and like Vermont or whatever, you know, just like, well, like the, the born, the born supremacy Black Widow movie. 
Yeah, just like her living off the grid. And like, I don't know. I was just like, I could watch a whole movie of this. I don't really give a shit about like big action sequences or anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a Marvel movie. So we have to have a, a floating fortress of death that's made of explosions. <sighs> Loki was it's, fun. Loki was fun. Loki could have been better, sure. But Loki was a lot of fun. I mean, I probably had the lowest expectations for Loki of the three so far. Oh, I, think I would it was, disagree. I would say Falcon and Winter Soldier. Really? I mean, I, I yeah. like Falcon more than you, so there's that. But um, I think this is probably just the the most complete and, I don't know, like the most, it had the most depth, I think, of all the Marvel shows so far. It felt the most like a, a contained TV show rather than just like a bunch of ideas. I mean, I think looking back on it, like Falcon and Winter Soldier is like, that's really rough. Like there's a lot of that show that is just like completely cobbled together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder a little bit of, if Loki suffered from a little bit of that, but like it probably it did a little. Yeah. But wore it better. I say, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I, I it think it'll more be inter- coherent and cohesive. Yeah. I, some of the stuff I feel like they could have got to faster, but it'll be interesting to see. Cause I feel like the internet was exploding every week after Loki where it, it, it really did with one division after like the Evan Peters pops in at the end of the one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But really people really just diving into that Kang Wikipedia article. Right. I mean, I guess it, it was impressive in a way. I mean, like you and I like talked before the final episode came out. I'm like, they're not going to do King. Just people need to, that's, that's some Mephisto shit again. You know, like that's not how they make TV. And then they're like, no, look at my dumb ass. I was all I all I knew was Miss Minutes was uh, mm-hmm. just a lying bitch. Wow, strong words of Tara Strong. Yeah. Uh, so Ted Lasso, are you watching anything else besides uh, what we discussed? Uh, shit, what have I watched since? Oh, then? I know something you watched. What did I watch? A little film called The Ice Road, starring Liam Neeson. Is that what it's called? I think so. Maybe. It I was kind of funny. I was talking about that. Yeah, or just Ice Road, one of the two. Like it should have like to to keep the naming structure of his movies, like it should have been called like the Ice Road Trucker, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's like copyrighted or something. Maybe I, I think know. there's like a reality show called. I that. I gotta say I was never bored with that stupid ass movie. It's incredibly stupid, but and and it was, it was comforting kind of, in a dumb way. It was kind of fascinating because like you know, I think you and I were just like. Okay, they're doing this part. That means you either have to do this, or you have to do this. Okay, they did that one. They have to do this or this. It was kind of like like I could definitely see it being taught in like. So you want to write like a a nineties esque middling budget, <laughs> middling quality movie? Yeah, the predictability and the formula and the tropes just washed over me in an awesome wave. Uh, and like the 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 brother with the disability they kill who, off like, the he, brother well we're like he's they're gonna kill him so then it looks like they kill him and then he's like his life is saved in a kind of bizarre way mm-hmm. and then they kill him in an even more <laughs> <fucked> up way <laughs> Larry Fishburne collecting a paycheck for that movie oh yeah uh, he got like uh, he got like a straight up like Anton Yelchin death <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> am I wrong dude mm-hmm. Uh, what else am I watching? So I started rewatching The Witcher, I guess, just because, well, for a few reasons, the, the trailer for season two came out and I started rereading The Witcher books. Um, You're a real Witcher boner right now. I know. Just hard for The Witcher, like our good friend Keegan Allen. I got to say, on rewatch, that show, like if you have like not played the video games or read the books, 
there's like long stretches where it's like completely incoherent. Like I, I, I do wonder what people who weren't familiar with the, the material thought of it. Remind me, what episode do you start to get a grasp of the timeline? It's when the two kids show it's up season at the th- dance, or episode right? three, I think. Yeah, it's the one where it's like there's the full test. The, the king is like old in one scene, and, and then there's their little kids in another scene, and you're like, oh wait, and it's it is a really bizarre decision number one to even tell the story that way but number two to not ever do anything to let people know that they're watching different timelines and just like yeah. expect them to figure it out eventually yeah um but yeah rereading so the, do... the books of short stories i'm kind of like i i guess they did it that way because they wanted more siri and yennefer up front but like hmm. i don't know i i think it it, it would have been an easier and more crowd-pleasing show to just like tell a few of the short stories and then get into the main thing like yeah you would you wouldn't have had as much yennefer in season one but i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing i i would i would argue that like it wasn't disruptive though like i think that at a certain point i could tell something was odd about the timeline but it didn't never took me out of it um are we going to start a side podcast called hard for the witcher i don't know i mean we can't you can't podcast about netflix shows because just dump them all once so no yeah yeah I mean, unless I can get you to read the books, maybe then we can. It's like winds howling. Five total. Up uh, books? No, there's two books of short stories, and then five books in the series, and then there's like another book that came out later. So like like eight. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I know that like the the author, like, I mean, yeah, sure, he had a moment when people developed the show, but then he had another moment when he did that interview where he's just like, I don't like to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just want to get paid. All right. Well, what there are going to be more to? books. Oh, sorry, there will be more books. Oh, um, I don't know. He put out another book, which I think was actually newly written because these were all like written in the 90s. The original ones were like 90s mm. and 2000s. There's another book that came out called Storm of Swords or no, that's probably wrong. Season of Storms or something um, okay. that I don't think was as well received. I actually haven't read it. I guess I'll read it when I get to the end of my read here. But I don't know if there's going to be more. He's got to be pretty old by now. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. 70s or 80s. What a fascinating place for the world to go for like new IP. The Witcher? Like just like oh, it's 90s. from the video. It's because of the video games. Like is the, the company that made the video games is a Polish software development okay. company. And these okay. are like okay. the Polish Lord of the Rings. So it kind of makes sense that they would, you know, use that as source material. And then they got really popular. Okay. I'm shocked that there's not a... Um, fuck. What's the... What's that video game with like Femshep, they call her? Oh, Mass Effect? I'm surprised that's not like an HBO show by now. I eh, give it time. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I don't know. I think part of the appeal of a game like that is that you can influence a narrative, at least in theory. You know, you can you can do things. I, I can't remember what they call it, like Renegade and Paragon. You can, you can give like the asshole, you know, response to somebody or you can give the nice response and it kind of influences the way the story goes. So that's kind of the appeal of the game. And I, on a show, obviously it's like somebody else is picking for you. Mm. <laughs> you can't but, fuck your entire crew. I mean, I suppose you could. Mm. I wonder, I wonder if like the big moments from the game, like, like uh, had to be me. Someone else would have gotten it wrong with those hit as deep in a TV show. Mm. Anywho. Uh, reading. What are you reading? No, listening first. What are you listening, oh, listening. to? Uh, not much lately. I'm sad to say. Okay. Well, I've been listening to the new churches that is available. I think their album doesn't come out till the end of August, but 
the three they've dropped so far are all very good. They're very, it's, it's like, yep, that's churches. And it, does, it, it sounds like churches, but it also sounds kind of new and refreshing at the same time. I don't know. I like the band. Good band. When the, when the one with Robert Smith, the single for Robert Smith comes on, I just keep hitting repeat on that one. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm probably most partial to the first one, I think. Mm. Um, he said, she said, but yeah, they're all good. I'm at a point with some new music where I don't know, like with T Swift, it was nice to be absorbing an album again, mm-hmm. but like with some new music and bands, it's like, I'm not, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm like, I'm just letting it all wash over me. I'm like not staring at track titles as much, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you're like, Oh, the first one. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't even know what the name of the one of Robert Smith is, but I like it. Did you uh, give the garbage album to listen to at all? I certainly tried. I gave it one listen and maybe I need to like, I need to go on like a road trip and listen to it a few times or something. Maybe it'll get better. But on first listen, I was like, man, this ain't it. This is rough. Uh, I, I really, I like their last album, but this one to me, it just, it felt, it felt like aging rockers. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you the very, like speaking of nineties nostalgia, I had to do some, some moving around, rearranging some, some fixing some shit in my house. And so mm-hmm. I just needed, I needed an artist. Mm-hmm. So I just put on some Third Eye Blind. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, just an old friend coming over. I just mm-hmm. uh, I threw, threw my back out to Third Eye Blind yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my 90s memoir. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. What are you reading? Obviously, I'm reading the Witcher books. I'm on The Time of Contempt, which is book two in the series. It's, uh, it has one of my favorite little moments in it where dandelion the bard has to like ride to some uh forbidden forest where it's like everybody who approaches gets shot and like he puts on this really brave face for the soldiers who are escorting him i don't know it's just a really like great like i could totally i hope they capture this well in the tv show if they do that scene because it's like a a great little juxtaposition of like him putting on this kind of esprit de corps persona of like nonsense you're just trying to frighten me you know like tell you what chaps why don't you all buy yourselves around on me back you know when you get back to the garrison or whatever and then like as he rides away he's like whistling and they're like damn that guy's like i thought he was just like this like whiny little punk but he's like totally legit and he's like scared shitless but he's like putting on a front hmm, hmm. does he does that character has a different name in the show does he Jasker. need to grow does he need to like grow the beard in the show I don't think he has a beard in the. No, uh, but I mean, you know, the, the oh, he needs wise. to grow the uh, the ridiculous hat, which I think he does have in the trailer for season. But two. like, is this like like is season one like Yaskier begins? Like we're going to see him? It seems like it. Yeah, I, I hope they full on dandelion. I hope they they let him grow into his just ridiculous pomposity. Hmm. There's a really good short story, and unfortunately, I don't think they're going to do that. He's really good in. Maybe they can find a way to fit it in somewhere. Hmm. But uh, that is what I have been reading. What are you reading? Uh, so last week I reread Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, mm-hmm. which was fascinating to have read that when I was like 10 or 11 and then reread it now. Much I have that book on my bookshelf. I've not read it. Oh, God. The things that flew over my head as a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the uh, the lesbian longing of certain characters. Um, it's, it's Daphne du Maurier's fucking fascinating character. She's really like... Uh, I don't know, like the the upper class Shirley, Shirley Jackson. So I think I'm going to start reading more Daphne du Maurier. I'm currently reading A Touch of Jen by Beth Morgan, which is um, 
a little bit in the uh ingrid goes west genre hmm. um but it's a it's essentially about a love triangle that becomes so toxic it becomes sentient okay. so i'm enjoying it so far right on i need i needed something a little bit surreal and a little bit fucked up at the moment so oh yeah mm. scratching that should edge. we talk off there <laughs> i think i just said what i need to say okay <laughs> all right well let's get down to business and fuck the brain hole gross point blank after you sir all right my opening statement um i think very few movies influence my outlook on being adult quite like gross point blank did i think i was 16 years old when i watched this movie and I came out of it thinking like, well, that's that's what growing up is like. That's what being in your late 20s is like. It's pouring booze on someone's grave, like your old house being turned into a mini mart and killing a French kickboxing assassin. Uh, I hadn't revisited this movie in several years, probably over a decade. And it was just a complete delight. I watched it twice. Uh, I, I love the specific unique voice that the writing has. You just rarely get this kind of comedy anymore. Like it's not one of those modern improv fests. All the jokes are so witty and kind of out of nowhere off kilter. I actually, I was like so jazzed by watching this that I watched Hot Tub Time Machine afterwards. And the difference is just like, it's really striking, like the difference in the style of comedy. Like if there was any riffing going on in Gross Point Blank, it was like between takes, not on camera. And I think the result is just hilarious, like endlessly quotable and at times even oddly sweet movie. Uh, Martin Blank, he's, he's growing up. But in a way, it, it almost feels like, like it's a movie about all of Generation X growing up. It's like finally exiting the endless adolescence that the 80s promised. This might be John Cusack's best role. Uh, we're going to do High Fidelity soon, so we'll we'll have to re-examine that. Mini Driver is really winning here. Joan Cusack, absolutely hilarious, crushes every scene she's in. I think we would not be friends if we didn't both love this movie. Like We yeah. quoted this movie constantly to each other in high school. Too much. Um, but as far enough. as I'm concerned, it's just an absolute classic and beyond belongs in the Pantheon. 100% agree. Yeah, uh, the first line of my opening statement is, this movie needs to be talked about more. It needs to be a co-classic in the same way that many others are. I thought it was, and then it, I feel like just doing uh, uh, lackadaisical social research, it seems like people weren't. I, I, You and I were at something, and I think it came up to to my girlfriend that we were going to do High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. And she later said to me, oh, I love that movie. I'm so I'm so excited for you guys. And I said, well, we're going to do a gross point blank first. And she said, what's that? Oh. Hey, can I, I, can I interrupt your opening statement just for a moment that reminds me of something similar? Um, talking to a, a female friend of the pod of ours recently and she did not, I mentioned Marky Mark and she was okay. like, that sounds like some lame rapper. And I'm like, wow, well, it's Marky Mark, right? You know, it's Mark Wahlberg. And she had no idea that, that Marky Mark Wahlberg was once part of Marky Mark and the funky bunch put out a single called good vibrations, which kind of slaps. Jeez. Oh yeah. Feel uh, it. Feel it. I was so excited That's to like send her the link to it. She yeah. she was just like whatever I don't know I was kind of bummed out. There's like almost Lovecraftian images of Mark Wahlberg and his like tidy whitey Calvin Klein. Can you feel like, it, baby? dancing around? I can't yeah. And like him and the, the CK commercial. And then like, do you remember the uh, the rumor going around that he had a third nip? I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like we had no we had, didn't quite have the internet yet, so it's like we didn't know this for a fact. It's a great time to be alive. Yeah, it really was. It's invigorating. Um, All right. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. So like I said, this needs to be a cult classic the same way that so many others are. The way that I think High Fidelity has kind of punctured through. I just want to 
God, I just want to quote this entire fucking movie to you, the listener. Um, <laughs> like you said, I, I felt rewatching this because I, I started rewatching this on a whim a few months ago, which is, I think, how 90s month came about because yeah. you and I went and got yogurt a few days later. And it was just like, I just, I stopped watching it then because I was like, fuck, we need to rewatch this because I hadn't seen it like you in probably a decade <laughs> since. Um, but it just felt like I was like looking back at t- in time at myself as like a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Just being like, oh shit, son. <laughs> um, this movie nails a tone that is such a tight wire. There's just a real confluence of like things that we were obsessed with in the 90s, like Hitman shit, psychoanalysis. I mean, I, I think I actually looked up at like when The Sopranos came out. Right, yeah. And how it, I feel like it had to be inspired by this movie. John Cusack is a genre in his own way. He, he's his own genre. There's not a leading man like him. Um, I feel like my generation didn't have an Alan Alda or an Elliot Gould. We had a John Cusack. Uh, I I don't know. I just have a lot of disjointed opinions of this movie. But I honestly feel like what makes this so fascinating as a as an action comedy is that a different version of this movie could have been a French New Wave movie back in the 60s. And we would have heard what a classic it was from like Cahiers du Cinema. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just great. And And shockingly, there is a lot of improv in this movie. And this is like the good improv. This is like before, you know, the 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 assholes came and took it over fifteen years later and yeah. All the riffing is well, left it's, it's, in. it's not just like give me like five jokes of he looks like whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean everyone is, is working in service to the movie, but uh, it's Sandy Glasser yeah. owns a cheese shop. <laughs> the so the the line I, I just realized I always misquote is Tis I, Sidney Feldman. <laughs> Benny the Jet. Yeah, this movie fucking rules, man. And it's I, there's like this whole kind of like meta level that the movie works on because John Cusack is such a face of 80s movies, you know, say anything. Mm. Uh, some of the John Hughes movies. And the, the, it's like, oh, look, it's like Lloyd Dobler grew, grew up and became a hitman. Yeah. And he's going back to his tenure. And it's just everything just came together perfectly. Well, and like the fact that the fucking like yearbook photo we see very yeah, briefly is just from one of his previous movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just think 97, this movie could be a raging success because it was made for 15 and it grossed 31 million. That's how <laughs> high the stakes were back then. I saw this movie in the theater. I, I remember oh, however it was that I like, I learned, I was, I think I had an entertainment weekly subscription. Maybe I think that was how I like, I knew what movies are coming out and like, yeah. I had this one circled. I was like, I don't know why. I was just like, yeah, that one. I was listening to a, another podcast talk about 90s movies the other day, and they were talking about how all across the country, pre-internet, uh, before the internet really radicalized some shitheads, but like, we all thought we were so clever because we were talking about movies in a way that no one else was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had our premiere subscription we had our our, our ew oh, subscription w- was that by any chance the uh, fight club rewatch it was. podcast yeah am I, am I wrong or is that podcast kind of horrible like uh, the constant like pushing of like their woodstock 99 documentary yeah, yeah they they are often on horrible yeah they are i don't, know. I, don't I don't like to call out other pods i enjoy many of them but that one is a big disappointment for a, such a big movie like fight club the wrong people mm-hmm to be talking about that movie. And also I do not believe for one fucking second that that guy was as big a whole fan as he's claiming to be. <laughs> His entire energy is not saying yeah. that. Um, but yeah, should we just, should we just, just dive into this movie? Dive right into gross point blank. We start with, I can see clearly now playing 
Oh, All, the soundtrack is that. so good. Yeah, I mean, I I, I am a, I am fucking astonished you cannot get this soundtrack on iTunes. There's this two volume soundtrack really? you cannot get it on iTunes. Yes. Wow. I wonder if it's, it's one of those things where it's like they just didn't have the right the rights to it or something like that. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Because there, there's actually uh, two soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. I remember like trying to figure out, obviously, you know, somewhat pre-internet. Like what the song is. It's Rudy Can't Fail is a song that she right. puts on. And, I, you know, she's like, here's something by The Clash. And I was like, what song is that? Because it like sounded like a cool song. But there's like no, there was no Shazam back then, you know? No, no. Well, and, and also at the time this came out, I didn't know who Joe Strummer was to be doing the score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where there is a score. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, we start with Martin Blank here. Doing some sort of business transactions on the phone with his assistant, talking about like thousands of rounds of ammunition, transfer this long account number to this long account number while he's like putting some eye drops in his eye. It's just like massive amount of eye drops. It's like this is what being an adult is right here. This This is what I have to look forward to in life. If you ever get like the liquid medicine prescription, that giant thing you have to pour and then down, but like you're just putting that all in your eyeball. Mm hmm. It always found, I mean, I get it. it's like it must be something for sniper rifle shit, but it's a guess, lot of liquid. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows how realistic some of the shit in this movie is, but I feel like it it plays in the movie like you're like, oh, yeah, that's what assassins would do. Yeah, just shit ton of eye goop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's going to invite to his 10 year high school reunion. I mean, this movie, I fucking adore like he doesn't get to gross point for 20 minutes, but mm-hmm. like scene one. We are setting up what this movie is. Well, it's such a, a great combo of you have, I can see clearly now playing this kind of like jaunty song. You've got these like shots of him, like putting a sniper rifle together, shots of some messenger guy, like riding down the street. And then you've got Joan Cusack just like reading this uh, letter that's come from the, uh, like the reunion society. Like, can you believe it's been 10 years since you left Gorse Point? Where are you now? And it's, it's just like the surreality of it all. It's, it, there were a lot of movies in the nineties that were like hitmen, but they're cool and hip or whatever that like yeah. got really old, really fast. Somehow this movie like completely avoids that whole vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't the, the, the aforementioned Marky Marks, the big shit, <laughs> the big shit. That's right. It's got to return. Wasn't he a hitman? Is that the one where like they have the final fight in a blockbuster? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the video he's returning there, but yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I feel like that's like that movie was like, it was, it was, it was destined to be bad, but it was going to go like in the nineties wicker man to be <laughs> burned as the sacrificial offering. <laughs> Uh, yeah, John Cusack playing roughly 28 here. He's 31. I don't know. I, I think he actually much. maybe was class of uh, 86 or close to. I can't remember, but um, it's it's like a perfect performer for the. It's like like he just fits so well into this specific role. Like it's the perfect age. He's got all the metatextual like connections and whatnot. Oh, I mean the only the only thing more perfect would have been gender flipped and it's Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah um but uh class of 86 is that not the year that hot top time machine travels back to it is it is indeed okay. yeah because i watched like maybe 30 minutes of that movie and i was just like man this isn't quite as good as i remember i should probably stop but yeah the the opening of this movie is well because you just got to get to the uh the chainsaw <laughs> juggling <Yes. laughs> oh come on well like i can't remember the exact joke but they're like de- detour here sorry when they're like driving up to the kodiak valley or whatever there's something in the car where like the the young kid says something and then rob cordy's like we're like how gay it is and they all laugh and it's like the most like 
painfully like unfunny scene. It's like it's like you can tell even the actors don't really think it's funny, but they're like forced to laugh like that was a good joke. They're, like gay panic, ha ha ha. Like it's, it's bad. I I don't approve of that, but I would just say in my memory of that movie, I'm so glad that that wasn't found by a Judd Apatow or a um, hangover guy. Mm-hmm. That guy. Yeah, um, Todd Phillips. Joker guy, too. Mm-hmm. Oof. But uh, yeah, this opening of this movie honestly is just as complicated and lovely as anything happening in a fucking Bourne movie, but still lighter and easier to follow. It's like Cusack has been hired to kill another assassin who's like a bike messenger who's going to like kill mm-hmm. some like old dude. You know, and so he kills the one assassin, but then there's another assassin who's also been hired to kill the old dude. So it's like there's three different assassins who've been put on this guy for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, maybe his greatest role ever. I mean, that or sneakers. I mean, I'm, you know, sorry, I'm not a huge fan of Ghostbusters. So, yeah, I would would say like this and sneakers are probably his best roles. But yeah, yeah. Between those two movies, his greatest roles ever as like the the undercover, like, uh, uh, I want to say doorman who yeah, just yeah. shows up and like unloads two revolvers he into this guy like and his bodyguards. Six bullets into this dude's head alone. He just like keeps firing. <laughs> and it's like, it's like that's that's kind of how the hitmen are in this movie. They just like it's just like they empty like everything they have into people. Like there's constantly yeah. like firing tons and tons and tons of bullets. Well, and 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 in case you you couldn't guess going through the movie, it's a metaphor for a certain kind of lifestyle. I think <laughs> yeah. um, it definitely plays out like later in his interactions with Debbie and the, the the do I do this with Debbie or do I do that? But yeah, like oh my god, fucking Dan Aykroyd. Well, the and way it's like he just like shoots this dude like in the torso like twenty times probably, and then like steps forward and shoots him another six times in the head. Yeah, and then just like drops the guns and like takes off his jacket and turns around. Yeah. This is like the height of like that level of like we we thought hitmen could just like drop their guns, take off the jacket they were wearing, and just <laughs> walk away into the crowd or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's Dan Aykroyd is playing grocer. Uh, John Cusack's Martin Blank. They meet outside the city to have a, a chat about what just happened. The fucking like, uh, hey, where are you? And like, uh, I can't remember what city. He, uh, he says um, Budapest City Cathedrals. <laughs> I see you right there on the bridge of the Danube, kid. Yeah. Wait, uh, not Budapest? <laughs> yeah. I think we all learned <laughs> yeah. something there. It's Ibiza. Yeah. Um, and just, he just like gets out, throws the cell phone back into the car. And then they, they have this like tenuous handshake as they're both holding their piece. All their <laughs> scenes are really good. And they're so weird because like, like the dialogue is like often very oblique. It's like yeah. they're talking shop and we kind of know what they're talking about. But they're like making all these kind of little inside jokes and references. It's like it's really well done that they managed to convey this whole weird world of the hitmen that they inhabit, you know, it's almost another language. The way Ryan Johnson synthesized like, like 30 slang into brick. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you don't fully understand, there's a part of you that just like wants to wash in those seas. But uh, like the other podcast we talked about where one of their constant questions is like, could this be remade as like a streaming TV show? I feel like this could, and the flashback episodes would actually be great just because when they go into remember, remember Burma, that nut general Quang, <laughs> you were like, like a, a colonel. colonel. In that army. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, I don't know. Could you recapture that in a show? Would the writers be good enough to know, oh, it's, you it's, know, like what, what works and what doesn't like, what kind of weird details to throw in? I'd be so fucking worried about casting. <laughs> he sold you all those tanks. Yeah. T-34 took a bath on those. <laughs> Like I'd be so worried about casting. I I would like 
I would be with the show for like all the stages of development. And then the Netflix would come in and they'd be like, guess what? We got a deal with Miles Teller for Martin. And I'd be Oof. like, I'm out. Oof. I'm walking. That's like your nightmare, right? It is my nightmare. I wake mm-hmm. up screaming about it. But yeah, so Grosser wants to unionize. <laughs> just bring all of his hitmen under like one umbrella corporation. Is this movie anti-union? Is that it's one fatal flaw? A, a little bit. <laughs> meetings? Of I mean, course. I, I do no feel meetings. like there's there's some sort of like, it still has this Gen X, Gen X like anti-corporate vibe. You know, it's like, like, no, man, he just like wants to do it for himself. Like mm-hmm. that's, a, you know, that sort of like joiner boomer mentality is like too much for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I had this conversation recently about things that I say constantly in my vernacular mm-hmm. that I forget are from movies or that I, I don't care or, or whatever. Um, this movie has a ton of them, including shockingly, if you want a daddy, I'll give you a spanking. <laughs> I like when they're talking about like how real is this? Like who's in it? He's like, oh, the Ringo Brothers, those East German uh, ecstasy guys. And then Martin's response is, oh, I don't like those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I always forget, like from the very beginning, Dan Aykroyd is referencing Boudreaux constantly. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, like it's like Martin Blake's Blofeld or something. All that mist up there. Woo! <laughs> 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 I don't know. I I would love to know like somebody who's never seen this movie, like what their first impressions of watching the scene would be. Yeah, I I, I watched it with such a person the other night, and they mm-hmm. were like, "It's good," and I was like looking at them. They were like staring at my face, like clearly knowing I wanted more mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> I like how uh, he, yeah. he goes and gets back on the phone after Grocer drives away, and it's just immediately junkie sack. So come on back to you know Gross Point High, <laughs> the old oak trees, acorns. Joan as as Marcella is her usual weirdest shit self, but also of course perfect in this role. Doesn't she like have an Oscar or at least an Oscar nomination? Joan so, for because I feel like this is like her best role, but they, I'm I'm sure she's like actually won an award for something. She has two Oscar noms. Uh, let's see here. Broadcast News, uh, In and Out, and Working Girl. In and Out. Wow. Okay. The Kevin Klein movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, both are supporting, but mm. I don't know. I feel like she's perfect in this role oh yeah absolutely absolutely it's like her brother gets her in a way that most of hollywood never has mm-hmm. like except has for when she car. when she barges into the record store and says rob you asshole oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah he's got a fax See, she faxes him the new job she's like it's in french it's a Greenpeace peace bro- boat it'll be so easy and he's like no way i have scruples so she's just like, you know, when you start getting invited to your own high school reunion, you know, time is caught up with you. And he's just like, are you talking about a sense of my own mortality or a fear of death? I mean, just the, the basic concept of this movie, a hitman has to go back to his 10 year high school reunion. It's perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Also, Joan as Marcella has the line that I that I had to be this many years old to appreciate. When he asked her what it was like going back to her high school reunion, and she's like, it's like everyone had swelled. It was just as if everyone had swelled. I could not get that thought out of my head attending my own high school reunion. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, so we see him. He goes to uh, was it Miami for another job, which is this fascinating James Bond reference, which involves him checking into the hotel room above the room where the target is, is staying mm-hmm. sleeping. Pulling back like the of the, all the Miami the colors here, like the the purple and neons and everything. Well, you can definitely see where they saved money. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but like like running a string and like uh, one of those like long cameras down where the guy's sleeping, so he's right above him, and then just running some kind of like poison down the string, so it'll drop into the guy's open mouth while he's like snoring, and he turns his head at the last moment. Yeah. And apparently a very light sleeper because he wakes up immediately. Which is not what his, his sleep pattern suggest, or research mm-hmm. has suggested, but yeah. So he just has to like run down the stairs and shoot this guy and you, know, you get the classic like, I'll pay you, you know, to stop or whatever. And he's like, it's not me. And then he shoots him. Very dispassionate. I, I feel like there's a depiction of this guy getting killed that I've never seen in another movie that remotely gets to this. Where the guy just says, whatever it is that I'm doing that you don't like, I'll stop doing it. I, yeah. I don't know why. That line's always stuck with me. He says, it's not me, and shoots him. Yeah, so the next day he comes into the office, which just seems like a nice office. I like that his assistant's in this very small, what, like, what should be the boss's office. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like, and he's in like what looks like should be like the waiting room area. Yeah, yeah. No, he kind of um, like stiffly walks over to her, and he's like, hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she uses the intercom, sir, can I talk to you? He's like, yeah, with, the, with, with the door open and they can see each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're very unhappy. I'm very unhappy too. It was supposed to look like a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so so they want him to do another job as like, you know, as as make payback good. for they make good. Uh, but there's a quinky dink here, which they want him to do a job in Detroit this weekend, which will be right next to his high school reunion. And her line is just the gods want you to go back home and they want you to, to delete someone while you're there. <laughs> I also find fascinating that like the dossier she gives him is like wrapped in saran wrap or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's normal for hitmen or. Yeah, that's a good question. Is mm-hmm. this normal for hitmen? If you're a hitman, uh, don't tweet at us. <laughs> um, also, I love in the movie he calls out her being dressed like Sergeant Pepper or uh, the Black Parade or whatever she's whatever yeah. she's wearing. Um, and then of course we get this other '90s thing. Well, the he, hitman has a therapist. Before the therapist, I just love the line. He's like, "Would you describe their position on this matter as inflexible?" And she's like, "Intractable." Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then he's like, call Dr. Oatman because uh, he needs to go to his therapist because we were all into psychotherapy in the 90s. So this movie comes out in 97. The pilot for The Sopranos is ordered that year. Analyze This comes out in 99. Mm-hmm. But this almost feels like this has to be the genesis. kind of, yeah, I think it might have been of that whole kind of like, it's a therapist, but their client is a criminal or, you know, or a gangster or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he goes to see Dr. Oatman, played by Alan Arkin, who I feel like this was my first exposure to Alan Arkin. Probably for me, I did not watch MASH. But uh, is yeah, he, is he MASH or is that Alan Alda? That's Alan Alda. That's Alan Alda. Yeah. He's in Catch-22. Okay. Um, he might even been Yosarian in Catch-22. But mm-hmm. uh, I just want to quote this entire movie to you, including this this long bit. I just honestly don't know what I have in common with these people anymore, or if anyone really. I mean, they'll all have husbands and wives and children and houses and dogs, and you know, they'll have made something, uh, made themselves a part of something, and they can talk about what they do. And what am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? <laughs> and he tells him his dream about being the Energizer Bunny, and I don't know, all that's just like, oh, it's a terrible dream. You have, you have no anima. You just keep going and going. Yeah. Oh, it just. The hilarious dynamic here is just that the therapist doesn't want to work with this patient anymore because of their emotional involvement, which is he's afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And Martin's like, I'm very serious about this process. And I know where you live. The little smile on his face when he says, I know where you live. It's it's very coy, like John Cusack. Like, it, it's perfect. Well, just an omen's just like his, like, now I feel like I've got to be creative in a really interesting way. <laughs> that wasn't a nice thing to say. Me. That wasn't designed to make me feel good. Oh, I never even thought about it. You did think about it and you said it. <laughs> but I, I actually went and Googled some of this shit. I think... 
I understand the therapist thing, they have the obligation to breach confidentiality if the patient confesses to harming themselves or others or about a future crime. Mm-hmm. So I think if you if you tell your therapist that you robbed a bank but no one was hurt, you know, a victimless crime. Oh, I mean, if you tell your therapist you're a hitman but you don't say who you're killing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Loophole. I just think that's the line. Yeah, I just don't think a, what a person does for work necessarily reflects who he is. Also, is this chair really small or is John Cusack a lanky giant? I think he's pretty tall. I mean, does he look... the height on John Cusack. Does here. he look odd in the chair? Yeah, he does seem like he's really sinking down in there. Like his knees are kind of like high up, like he's sitting yeah. low to the ground. Like the back of Six the ass two. is like way too low. Mm-hmm. That's way too tall. Um, yeah. So I just I love Martin's. Oh, here's another thing that that probably shouldn't have influenced me, like like uh, uh, internalizing this and Seinfeld at the same time. When all, when Omen's like, oh, I think a lot of your issues come from anxiety about you know killing people, and Martin's like, no, 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 that morality stuff means nothing to me. <laughs> I'm just saying you're killing a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the Kisak's uh, line here, I'm feeling uneasy, man. Like that that is stuck in my brain is like a, a response, you know, to give to people sometimes and ask how I'm feeling. Oh, also just, uh, yeah, you know, like re-Debbie, like, uh, don't you think obsessive is a bit strong? Recurring dreams of loss and pain for 10 years featuring the same person? Yeah, maybe it's a bit obsessive. <laughs> uh, I've been there, man. Um, yeah, so like, Omen's final thing is just like, get out of town, see some friends, visit, what's her name? Try not to punch. kill anyone. <laughs> don't kill anyone for your day, see how it feels. I'll give it a shot. No, don't shoot. Don't shoot anyone. So my argument is, we'll get this later. I almost think you don't need the other scenes of Dr. Oatman if there you is really a don't. Yeah. This one is great. Maybe we don't need the rest. Also, I, I'm always taken out of the fact, well, we'll get into it. I'm always taken out of the fact of the patient in the last scene because I don't understand mm. what time it is. Right, right, um, So Aykroyd is doing that thing that hitmen do where they just narrate out loud for the audience. Sounds some sort of like chatting. weird Unix terminal, like chatting with his like... Uh client or whatever about the the job and they tell him they've got an alternate vendor he spits out the pencil that's in his mouth preparations have begun in good faith yeah fucking martin blank snake the detroit job from us yeah so he's gonna call the nsa and stick them on on martin mm-hmm. and then we get some violent femmes baby and then apparently like the only actual shots of detroit in the movie like i think this was filmed in la mostly yeah this and i think when they're driving out mm-hmm. yeah um, so yeah got some blister in the sun man Good times. This is 17 minutes into the movie and we're fucking cooking. Uh, yeah, so he's being followed by the two NSA agents. Uh, not I only do you have Mr. Trick. Yeah, not only do you have Mr. Helen Hunt, but you also have Mr. Trick. Uh, these two guys know everyone. These two guys might be the weakest part of the movie. I feel like you could have maybe done more with them. Yeah, yeah I like, think you should have. Yeah, I don't know. They're just kind of around. But yeah, whatever. And then he just and clearly favoring Hank Azaria over Mr. Trick. It gets a little, yeah. yeah. Um, Deb, Debbie on the radio. Debbie on the radio. I mean, it's a classic shot of just the microphone in her, her mouth and her lips there. Well, I, I wrote in my notes, very 90s shot. I feel mm-hmm. like we were seeing a lot of women talking into phallic radio microphones. Yeah, he's listening and, to her on the radio as he's driving. Well, he's and, and, dr- dressed, by the way, with like gloves and like a, a black baseball hat on, like completely suspicious. Yeah. Oh, and and Debbie talks in this, like her radio persona has this kind of poetry to it. Hey, I know everyone's coming back to take stock of their lives. And you know what I say? Leave your livestock alone. My Debbie Newberry, like she's like a local DJ. She's like pretty much like the Gen X fantasy woman, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I so here's my here's my Debbie thing mm-hmm. on this. I don't think how incredible Debbie and or Mini Driver was fully hit me to its most potent degree until this this time period. Really, I think I was always in on Debbie. I like Debbie just fine. I mean, she she they do a good job. I mean, she doesn't have the most agency. It's, she's clearly there to serve other people's storylines. So they do a pretty good job of like not treating her like trash. I think and like like taking seriously like her frustrations with Martin as as she should have them. Um, but I was just like, I fucking get Debbie now. Fuck yeah, Debbie. I love. There's a small moment where he's like driven up and parked right outside her radio station, which is just like right on kind of this like main street and like a village part of town or whatever, you know? And he's like yeah. looking in at her. She sees somebody watch. She, she can't see it's him obviously. Cause he's like in a car right. and he's like, you know, got sunglasses on and she just like pulls the mic front close. Like while the song is playing, she just goes, welcome back pointers. Yeah. <laughs> he drives off. Yeah. Like it's so good. Like, uh, I love it. Maybe so the mini than any other movie, Debbie makes a, being a radio DJ look cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is, just seems like I like this lifestyle here of like this kind of, it seems like it's a small town and there's like a cool bar next door. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm all in on like living in this area. Oh, I would totally go to the hippo club. Mm-hmm. The hippo club seems like it rules. They're playing the eels. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So he goes to visit his old high school where he runs into his teacher who is not, um, what's her name from Roseanne and scream Two. Yeah, no. So I did not. I there was a line in here, which I don't think I ever realized what she was saying until I had the uh, closed captioning on. Uh, she uh, says, "You've been Detroit's most famous disappearing accents, White Flight." Yeah, yeah. I I never realized that that's what she was saying. I was like, "Damn, razor sharp." Well, it just there's a, there's so many like they're like so much. You know, she talks about the barrage of imagery. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's they're just bombarding each other. Reference. You can say I went west, the way of Horatio Alger, Davy Crockett, the, the Donner Party. Party. Just comedy like that. It's just, it's so sharp. It's so clever. I just, yeah. I feel like you don't get that in uh, the modern comedies now. Are, are you still inflicting all that Ethan Frome trauma <laughs> on everyone? <laughs> and she points out he has a nice tie. looks like a mortician. She thinks that's usually marry each other more. And I she's just like, genial, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Being Gino also bullshitting each other and fully aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the amusement when she's like, so have you been back home yet? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he's about to go back home and uh, live and let die by Guns N' Roses is playing as he's getting out of his car in shock because his home is now an Ultimar convenience store. The way it it kicks in, live and let die. Yeah, as as we as we get the reverse, we see the Ultimar, and then the flawless going inside to the Muzak version mm-hmm. of it. Perfect transition. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a top moment for me is just his conversation of ultima carl uh do you, do you i'm sure you have the dollar you want um i actually don't know uh, by the way if, if we are mentioning top moments my, my first would have been martin and grocer meeting and then mm. the, this scene would be my next top moment here oh this is 100 one yeah what, what are you doing here where do you live where does your manager live i'm not telling you that all right well, it's fine how long it's done, it's done. yeah just and i fucking love the guy who's playing carl like he's just so I'm not telling you that either. <laughs> what are you doing here? I work here. What are you doing here? I work here. All yeah, right. he's how long he's you so, Only a couple months. All right. He seems so dumb and so earnest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he calls Oatman, doesn't answer, and he realizes it's Martin. You know, it's like the, the house on days of screening calls and movies where you could actually like show the answering machine message. 
Yeah, you can never go home again, Oatman. But I guess you can shop there. I love the way Oatman just groans at that. It's like, oh. Uh, so, so then he he goes to see his mom, who's Mrs. Peacock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's like a like a, like a senior's home, um, very out of it. Apparently, she's on lithium, talking to his father, who's dead. Uh, the way like, what happened to all the money I sent you? They stole. <laughs> yeah the the way this movie handles with very little dialogue, whatever his relationship with, with his father, I think is fascinating. Yeah, you you somehow get the full impression of what his life must have been like as a teenager just from like this one meeting with his mom and then his visit to his dad's grave where he, he just opens a bottle of like, I think it's like Jameson or something, pours it on the grave and drops a bottle and leaves. And it's like, wow, that you said so much right there. Yeah. Uh, but the mom introduces one of the one of the many non sequiturs of the movie, which is just, ooh, you're a handsome devil. What's your name? Yeah, because she doesn't recognize him. Um. Yeah. So booze. Then, in the hotel room that night, he's doing some shit that I feel like I didn't see again until No Country for Old Men, where he's like oh, basically this is Mars here, man. He's like power drilling off the grate mm-hmm. uh, and just putting his case of his hitman shit in it. Which yeah, like the air conditioning. Fast- we see him get a rented car, but from from Marcello, we find out he also flew in. So I'm kind of fascinated how he got this case of. I just checked it. I don't think they cared. You know. Uh, yeah. Um, and then he retires to the bed to read an issue of Discover. The cover story is making sense of creation. Well, it's, I don't know, something about him just reading a, a Discover magazine. It's so banal. You know, it's like he's he's the the non, uh, I can't remember what, the, what the, the dad calls him later, but no, he's, you know, six figures, lead pipe cruelty, like kind of boring. One of those yuppie. slackers that yeah. I've been seeing so much in the covers of whatever magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a Richard Linklater type. Uh, yeah, next day, Martin shows up at the Debbie Newberry radio show while she's on the air. She just straight up gasps as she sees him. And this she's is, like, and here's the specials doing one of their songs. This is absolutely one of my top moments here. The noise she makes when she sees him. It's just like this. <gasps> uh. <laughs> yeah. And she like she kind of like almost holds her stomach a little bit. And yeah. it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like all, all I've ever wanted in life is to uh, make someone feel like this. To just come wow. back and completely rock their world. So like he comes in, he like awkwardly shakes hands. They start kissing wildly for a moment, then pull away. Apparently, that was improv. Yeah. How long has it been? Oh, since you stood me up on prom night, vanished without a word. Yeah, ten years, I think. Right. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. California, travel a lot, around for business. And she's like, "That's it." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." I'm gonna hope for a good abduction story. Um, so the the first they do it three times comedy comes in threes she asks what his business is since he's not forthcoming with details and he's like oh professional killer and she's like mm, you get done with that yeah because nobody ever takes him seriously when they ask him that but yeah just the such a good moment for mini driver here just her seeing him and just like you just see like her whole world is like turning upside down here she has not seen this guy for 10 years he disappeared and- without a trace and he just like walks right into her job like hey Doing a good job of still giving him the shit that he deserves. So, like, well, like when she shakes his hand and she holds onto it, you know, and like yeah. really like pumps his fist. When well, he walks out and he's like, I'll be back. And she's just like, What, what are, are the, the odds? odds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently the kiss was somewhat improvised. Like she just like, you know, they apparently they did a lot of takes for this movie. And that was one of them where she's just like, I'm just going to like furiously make out with this guy. So, one of the bits that I, I'm not totally sure about is. You know, one guy comes up with the idea for the script. And then of course the few movies that John Cusack made as a John Cusack movies, his team comes in, they write a whole new script. 
Uh, and then Armitage comes in and like uh, the, the director and comes in and he like deletes a lot of it. And so a lot of the improv was just them improving the script scenes <laughs> that he cut. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So outside the radio station, there's like a speaker where you can hear Debbie's like radio uh, uh, show. He's like listening to her musings while the NSA agents are listening from their, like down the street. Get some echo on the bunny man. I like she's like, um, I should be mad. And I am. <laughs> he says cryptic things and it's gone abruptly again and then walking right back into my booth man he vanished and he's walking right back into the station into my booth and she just like puts him on the air I like how he like he like she like starts asking him like uh you know she's like okay let's take a random day spring of 186 two young lovers with natural chemistry and he like kind of points at the sign it's like are you, you know you're on the air and she's like yeah i know well, he's doing this thing where he's like constantly afraid of having like his back to open windows or mm-hmm. doors. So she gets up to like close some blinds on the door and he like takes her seat so he can like see all the windows. She does this thing with the mic where she's like, a girl sits in a $700 prom dress <laughs> <laughs> on the sets of her house uh, waiting for the most romantic night of her life. The boy never shows up. Not until now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like if you're just listening to this at home on the radio, you're fucking riveted. You're like, holy shit. I am amazed at how quickly people started calling in. So she takes calls from listeners about whether or not the broken heart girl should take the guy back. Yeah, I'm not hearing so a lot of remorse are... from this guy. And you know, I'd make him wear that dress. Uh, yeah, it's, what's up, Debbie? This is Nathaniel. And I would make him wear that prom dress. And then we get Hank Azaria, who's like the NSA guy, who's like, like they start like tuning in. I have he a picks question. Up the phone. Yeah. Well, hi, Debbie. Long time listener. First time caller. Of course, works out in there. Um, huh, tough guy. Why don't you turn you really back? <laughs> you know what we love? We love tough guys. So she calls out the Michigan militia. Uh, so Marty's had enough. Of, uh, to, so Debbie does her sign off. Well, she's got the gray line. Come on, Marty. This is like so nicely into my 80s weekend. Should a once broken hearted girl give a, sec- a guy a second chance? Yeah. So uh, um, she has her sign off, though. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, then, well, it's broken. Doesn't she also have the line of where are all the good men dead in the heart or in the head? I think that's earlier. Earlier, earlier. Yeah, yeah it's like a, like a uh, adapting a Shakespeare line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as he leaves, this is another thing that I say a lot. Damn it. Never trust my instincts. Yeah. Also, when, when he first leaves the first time, she puts under the killing moon on to talk about him. Yeah. Like that's perfect. Yeah. So on the street, in this like little villagey part of town, he passes mm-hmm. by what is clearly a French kickboxer and they both try to <laughs> Felix play a cool little heavy bell. They have each other's number. Uh, then he looks over and, of course, sees Hank Azari and Mr. Trick on the cross the street as they're trying to play it cool. So I love the uh, aforementioned two spooks and a ghoul. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, and then so he runs, he runs into Paul here, Jeremy Piven. And I, I think he kind of like, he's like, let's take a ride, Paul, just to get out of here. Like, I think he needs to lose some tails is what he's doing. A little bit of both. Yeah. I think he also wants to hang off this guy. This is also, this is Piven before he got plugs. Yeah, uh, he's balding a little more. Also, what is he staring so emphatically into this custom framing shop it's for? Like, a, like someone owes some money. Store of like uh, window frames or something. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I mean, Piven. This is back when I really liked Piven when mm-hmm. he was Husek's sidekick. Why don't you valet park your high horse there? Take it easy, on your old pal, huh, sport? <laughs> so he got Paul got a, a Beamer from Detroit from Bobby Beamer, by the way. Also, Paul is parked in the only part of that street which is the red zone. Good job, Paul. <laughs> Uh, so he's gonna take him over to a real estate deal. He's trying to close. So we see him outside this like kind of lovely. I don't know what you call this house. Um, massive house though. Two door, 
yeah, kind of Tudor style where like Martin's just kind of hanging out front while Paul's showing off to this couple. We get and Terry. then Terry, another guy from the high school shows up and he's uh, like a like a local HOA security or something yeah, like he's that. He's a cop. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not a peace officer. No, 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 no. This badge isn't a meaningful symbol or anything. It's just a badge of my company. We don't enforce the law. We just execute company policy for homeowners. <laughs> so you might talk a little shop. What are you authorized to use deadly force? <laughs> Basically, uh, whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, so that the couple comes back and now there's like there's this guy in all black and there's like Terry there. And so Martin just kind of just as deaf of a salesman, like I've always felt very temporary about myself. I look at the two of you in this house. When my time comes, if it ever does, I want a house like this and a wife like you. I'm sorry, folks. This is going to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. This quoting thing. Yeah, because it's just, uh, it's great. And they're, they, yeah. when he says that, the couple's just kind of like, eh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to use another dealer, are you? Yeah. I fucking love this scene. And Terry's just like, cute couple. I don't think they're a real buyer, so. Yeah. Paul's like, Terry you call, you call Terry? You know, I show the house from 11 to 1. Terry's thing of I'm more of a part of this neighborhood than you are. <laughs> uh, it's like, so Paul, none of this scene needs to be here at all. No, really. no. Well, no, because it, it, to me, it totally sets up one of my most ridiculous favorite moments of the, of the movie is just when Terry shows up at the, <laughs> with a <dinner>. gun. <laughs> hey man, look at this. <laughs> but it's like, that doesn't need to be there either, but it's just, it's no, just great no. flavor for the movie and also, kind of, it's just showing that like, it's all these like interactions with people you've known for too long kind of a thing, you know? Well, I mean, I, capturing like how fucking absurd it would be to come back. I mean, like the kind of almost spiritual cousin of this movie is probably young adult. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, this movie just needed Patton Oswald. In he it. hasn't um, seen her. His wife hasn't seen me or what's, what's the line for that? Oh, he's uh, seen me recently, but his, but his wife hasn't. Yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, so Paul reveals that he brokered the deal in Martin's old house, torn down in the name of convenience. <laughs> and then another thing I think you and I have probably quoted to each other in some fashion 20 times over the years as Paul drives over to Debbie's house and says, kind of crept on you, didn't crept up on you, didn't it? <laughs> no, you drove us here. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, he just tries. <laughs> and then maybe. I don't know if it's my favorite scene, but it's a scene that I think is one of the best of the movie. One of the ones I highlighted. Ten years. As Paul wants to join us, they catch up, and he's like, he's like going through the whole thing about like, oh, like here's what's going on with my parents. Here's what's going on with my sister, and then he just slams on the horn. Ten years, man. Ten, ten years. Been for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> so Martin says that he freaked out, joined the army, went for business himself as a professional killer, and then Paul's just like. Oh, do you have to do postgraduate work for that? Yeah, nobody takes them seriously. We get some some monkey gone to heaven on the soundtrack. Uh, so Marcus dropped off back in town, calls Marcello while he's like spying on Debbie with a sniper scope from yes. across the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, he's lying to his assistant while about scoping off the job, which there's this kind of, I don't know, like clever... I, I, so it's almost it's like it's like the the twist of the, who the red folder is about mm-hmm. is both crazy obvious but also like a juicy twist. It's it's well executed. It's they yeah, and in some ways it's like very convenient for the plot of the movie. In other ways, it's like well they they definitely left some breadcrumbs here and there, and they've kind of been hinting at this job through the whole movie, but he's never really looked at the specifics of it. You know, well because every time the the red folder job comes up, he chooses to do something with mm-hmm. Debbie instead. I mean, there's a part where it's like 
he's in the hotel room and he's like he's like fondling the folder like he's about to open it and then and he, he goes oh. to see her and said yeah yeah he goes to see debbie and said yeah um, but i love the bit where after he gets off the phone with marcel another scene that doesn't need to be in the movie it was fantastic it's like marcel is like like, like get somebody else on the line and she's just like now where the fuck is it i ordered it three days ago no it's on the fucking list you got that you've got that i gave it to you on the fucking list but i don't give a good goddamn where it is you get it here now and then like clicks over amelia no i'm sorry no it's not gonna be a boring soup that's just the base you put the chicken in the carrots and celery are just the base of the soup <laughs> it's so good i love it uh, the three thousand rounds of nine miller subsonic yeah the, the, <laughs> the, the base of the soup um then so martin goes back to ultimar Carl's playing some arcade game with headphones on. He's playing the arcade version of Doom 2, which does not exist. This is not a real uh, arcade game. Yeah, they like built that whole cabinet just for this movie, seemingly. Supposedly, Tarantino was a huge Armitage fan, and somehow that's why they got the uh, the Pulp Fiction standee in the corner. Yeah, and like I think Tarantino like almost had a cameo in the movie, but like the scheduling didn't work out. I like how Martin has came, he's come back, quote unquote, home, because it's like, where else is he going to go? You know, He's like, I don't know, yeah, I just yeah. go back to this mini Mart and hang out there. Yeah, so he walks in as he's hanging out, just eating some food, and then in comes uh, Felix Lapubel with like a couple Uzis, and they have this like crazy <laughs> gunfight. There's like hundreds of bullets flying. Yeah, so like I mean, like there's some serious like white guy John Woo shit in this movie. <laughs> Double fist. I mean, like yeah, thank God there's no fucking doves though. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that, that standy of uh, Bruce Samuel L. John and Uma gets decimated by bullets. And then after the kickboxer runs off, like Martin like slides down That's the aisle. That's a very cool slide on his knees with both guns in his hand. Yeah. Finds that uh, Felix Lapubelle has put a big fat potato of plastique in the microwave. <laughs> Which somehow it's like the microwave has to reach zero and, yeah, until it goes off. I'm not really sure why that is, but sure, whatever. So he, Martin books it out of there, stops, realizes like some humanity, runs back, grabs Carl, pulls him out, and they escape right as the convenience store explodes. And yeah, they do the whole is... like diving like over the lawn at the explosion behind him. And then he's just like, you okay? And he's like, no, I'm not okay, man. I'm hurt. I'm, hurt. I'm pissed. <laughs> gotta, gotta find a new, new job. <laughs> this is somehow one of my top moments. Yeah. Just the two of them on the lawn. Also, Martin has landed on the grass like in a very cool way. <laughs> totally and i and i and i i'm very proud of myself that all the years i really resisted like these like fucking hitman action things or like how cool they looked but i gotta say like the way he's just like casually chilling on this lawn looks very fucking cool well like the feds are watching and just like cool yeah how much of like i don't know if we ever talk about like like uh we always sort of joke about our friend Steve mm-hmm. and like the the weird heroes he's like emulated his personality and his I don't style know if Cusack's really on. much of that equation. I don't he think it be. was conscious. I don't think it was conscious for me, but I it had although, to be there somewhere. Although was this not the movie that he semi tricked me to going over to his house to watch with him? Steve? No, no, I'm not saying for Steve. No, wait, wasn't this the movie me. that like the oh, like yeah. the first time I went and hung out with him is this movie that we watched? Like, for your first bro date? Yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. it was. But I mean, like, we talk about that for Steve, but like, we never really analyze who who were our weird, unintentional mm-hmm. style icons. I mean, it's definitely Martin Blank, although I'm not tall, so you know, I can't pull off the the look, but definitely Martin Blank. Because I mean, I, I was always conscious cognizant of the ones that I knew weren't for me. Like, sure, back in the '90s, every fucker would like, or every guy would like to be like George Clooney. I mean, he's a handsome mm-hmm. guy, but like, you weren't. 
it wasn't realistic, so you never really adopted it. But and said we had George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be one tuck and one no tuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Martin Strozoff calls off calls Debbie on his phone. Um, and she, I just love this this little bit. Like I was hoping we could go somewhere and talk. Well, I talk all day. <laughs> yeah, well, you could listen then. Yeah, they agree to meet at the Hippo Club. Great cut by uh, the Eels. Your lucky day in hell, which is a modern song, but somehow it like totally fits with the eighties vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're like catching up in a booth. He's shocked that she's gotten married in the last ten years, and she's like, "No, it's pretty normal. It's not like you just went away for the weekend, Martin." Well, and that that it's pretty normal. It's like something people do. That one has always stuck with me. Is like, I don't know. You get older. Like I feel like when when we were young, the idea of people like having kids or getting married is like, oh god, how how lame, you know? And it's like, no, that yeah. that's what people do. You're well, then, you're the then, not normal one, probably for you know not doing that. Like the line reading that I fucking really appreciate this time is he's like, oh, you know, when I joined the army, it was like a marriage of sorts, and she's like, oh, on prom night, <laughs> that's psychotic. <laughs> that's psychotic. <laughs> She talks about how he needs a swift spiritual kick to the head to permanently alter his perception. Yeah, and she, but she takes him to task for like the masochistic cycle she put him through that made her wonder what she had done wrong. Um, so he wants to just take her to the reunion as his date. And he's like, listen, if you want to go, I can't think of any reason we couldn't go together. And she's like, I can. <laughs> Uh, and so they're, they're like, I think we can, we can open up, forget, forgive a little. I think it'd be good for you and I'll be on time. And she's just like showing up would be a big step. Well, I like how she's like, I wasn't even going to go. I was just going to be mean about him on the radio. Yeah. And then drunken Amy shows up at their booth. So happy to see Marvin and Debbie still together. Drunk Amy is especially humorous stuff because we have a very close friend named Amy. And I, I think she did not appreciate our jokes about drunk Amy here, but yeah, no, very funny. No. Um, and she yeah. calls him Marvin. Yeah. And, so, and Debbie and then, does like a little callback there. She's like, yeah, Marv, where you been? Well, Amy's just like, Debbie, I love your show. It's so timeless. And Debbie's like, yeah, it does run a little long sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's, he's like joking with her, with Amy about like, oh, I work Kentucky Fried Chicken. She's like, you do not. And he's like, I do. I sell biscuits and gravy all over at Southland. And like the, the smile that Debbie is giving him here, like you can tell like she's definitely still has, like holding that flame for him. Well, she likes to see him work this magic, like especially... Mm-hmm. One he runs in the Bobby Beamer later. Yeah, with the yeah. Poetry. She's just fucking in heaven. Um, so he goes to the bathroom. This is another top scene. I mean, this is. I think once upon a time in this format of the podcast, we were like, okay, seven top scenes tops. <laughs> this movie's going to have fifteen. Uh, he goes to the bathroom. There's the two NSA spooks have been falling the whole time, and I just love the oh hi, oh hi. <laughs> yeah, they're like pretending to not you know know who he is or anything, and he's just like wash his hands. He's like girl down there she doesn't trust me anymore i don't know why i'm trying to run her trust back <laughs> he like wash he like dries his hands off and he's like i'm gonna go finish my drink walk her to the car be at the hotel in a half hour see you guys there yeah so he leaves the, it's the like so fucking slick the way he does that and you yeah, can tell yeah. they're just like feeling burned by it yeah as saeed would say why are we still pretending when we obviously this game has gone to the next level yes. dan great pops out of the toilet stall where he's been hiding this whole time it's like yeah that's the guy like, he's just, like yeah we know we know We've been falling. Like, shoot the fucker right now. So he starts going this whole thing with them. But they're like talking about how they, they're only there to observe Martin in an illegal act and then they can kill him. And so as serious does this thing by the door where he indicates, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. So Grocer goes and hides in the stall again. <laughs> and like, they, like, Missouri just gives Mr. Trick this look, like a little shake of the head, like, <laughs> like no, no, I'm just bullshitting. And then after like, I don't know, like, like three beats, Akron comes back and he's like, oh, fuck you oh, guys. Fuck you. <laughs> like, he has a great line earlier. What are you guys on an hourly rate? <laughs> like 
I don't know, man. If you're watching this movie for the first time because of the podcast, I don't know who you people are, but like, this is not going to mean what it means to us. But yeah, it's still fucking, it's like a joke that made me. Um, yeah. So later he's like walking Debbie out of the hippo club. We see it's like right next to her radio show. Um, they think each other is the same as before. Um, yeah. Got the, De- he's the like line to- about his cat. You don't know if it's boy or girl. I respect surprising. Well, he's like he's like trying to close the deal, and Debbie's like not letting him out of the penalty box just yet. Mm-hmm. I love this little bit. She gets in her car, and he's like, "Nice ride. Nobody buys American anymore, huh?" And she just kind of smirks at him, and drives off. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny because I think we find out that her dad works for the auto industry. Maybe, yeah. Um, and he's out- he has asked her to go to the reunion. She's like, "I'll think about it. You know, I'll talk. You know, talk to you, give you an answer later, basically." So. That will come up. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, uh, I, I believe this is where one of my favorite line readings um, of all time comes in here when he call, calls Marcella and it's like, all right, what do you got on like the, uh, the two spooks and a ghoul? And <laughs> first we get the, uh, we've got Stephen Lardner, AKA Steve <laughs> and Kenneth McCullers, no pseudonyms, like a couple FBI guys. And uh, then NSA. NSA guys. Yeah. Also, she's like in her evening dress. Like mm-hmm. she's like, Clearly waiting for this call so she can go have her evening plans. <laughs> and then she talks about Felix Lapoubel. <laughs> it's the French guy. Um, so a, not only is this guy like an accomplished world famous kickboxer, he's John Cusack's kickboxing instructor. Yeah. An accomplished which, amateur with the Basque nationalists. Few odd yeah. jobs with the Algerian separatists. Went pro with a stunning debut aboard an elite Caribbean cruise liner. Oh, oh that's, that's where I know him from. from. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, something I think you and I in the this, halcyon days of early social media. This is the line. Include, this is the line right here. Yeah. Go for it. Enjoys Native American art, ballroom dancing, pornography. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the the throwaway jokes in this movie are so good. Yeah, we we said that to each other roughly ten thousand times in high school. But it was it was like every fucking like like Zanga, mm-hmm. MySpace, whatever, anything that asked me what my goddamn interests You're were. Right, right, yeah, yeah, we totally did that. That's right. <laughs> and it's like, how many people even got the joke? And we're like, that's no, weird. They- this guy listed he likes <laughs> pornography. <on his. laughs> but it was so it felt like this weird way to like filter out the people that weren't my kind or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this is gonna be payback for the job of a job that was botched by Martin, or that so was that's the perception. Um, you know, so Marcella wants him out of there that night. She's worried about him. He reveals he hasn't done the actual job yet. And she like think of this whole thing about like, you know, like well, we all have to go sometime. You can choose when. And he's just like, no one chooses when. And he almost looks at his file there after he hangs up. I love the like the whole uh, apparatus he has too with this like cell phone with all these cables coming out of it and like a headset and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but instead, he throws the uh, dossier aside, opens up his like assassin's briefcase or whatever, and like plays with some knives in it, and then uh, decides to go see Debbie instead. And and you can you can like I said you can make the argument that there's all kinds of metaphors about aspects of his personality or whatever, mm-hmm. and like you know interest. But yeah, go see Debbie. Their fucking rich ass person house. Where she's oh, got a Debbie whole lives side. on like a five million dollar mansion at least. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a whole side stairwell that leads just to her room. So it comes bouncing up. I've done this weird stance he does at the door so many times. 
Um, I love the way she runs like to the door and then away from the door after she lets him in. It's it's very girlish. It's like very youthful. Yeah. Uh, like she's she definitely enjoying in. kind of reliving a little bit of her high school life. Yeah, she's like listening to this like 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 reggae or ska song, and she talks like uh, like Chet Hanks for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a clash poster on her wall because of course Joe Strummer and, and it's it's a very 80s movie because it's a shrine we find out. Also, she's been chilling in her her high school bedroom looking at uh Viewmaster <laughs> slides. Yeah, her <laughs> apartment burned down on Devil's Night. Yeah, she's back home because her apartment burned down. Um, so he thinks it's safer they go to the reunion together, they can team up and avoid traps and annoying people. Well, he's asking her, he's like, You never gave me an answer, and she's like, I said we talk later. He's like, This is later, and she just kind of smiles, like, Okay, you've got me there. Well, and, and uh, like he's smart, she's like laying there in the bed. He's like, Is this the bed, the magic bed, the magic carpet? Hmm. It just tells you everything you need to know about who this couple was, yeah, totally back in high school. Um, so she Great says, I'll give you an answer, if you give, yeah, if you give a give me an airplane. He's like, okay. So he lays on the bed, puts his legs up, and gives her a ride like on his feet. And I just love the like casual, like, what if your dad comes in? Then you can give him one too. <laughs> and then as she's <sighs> escorting him out, uh, she has a great line, you're a fucking psycho. It's just like kind of talking with her hand. Which is, uh, yeah, don't rush to judgment, all something like that, all the facts are in, which is a Doctor Strange reference. I yeah, forgot. Don't rush to judgment on something like that until all the facts are in. So before she gets Great delivery out, by like, Cusack of that line too. She runs over and like plops on the bed of a giggle. I mean, again, the fucking just mile a minute. Like, I kind of wish Cusack had been. I don't know, man. Like at the whim of so many other directors who could. He kind of just wish for, that he had been like adopted by like some good directors, you know? Because like he's just like, what if we just watch some CNN, some Crossfire, hash it out or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. like he's just firing off forever. Like he's got, he's just kill. He's like dying for a good screenwriter to just. I don't know. Like, there's a, a thing that I, I never really thought of until like, Joseph Doherty told us that, where he's just like, it really helps to be on season three of a show where I know how these actors breathe mm-hmm. so I can write for them. Uh, yeah. So, next day, Kenneth and Steve are getting ready for the, their day in the car. Kenneth's brushing his teeth. Steve is shaving. Uh, they're watching a diner where Martin and Grocer are going to meet. I think it's fair to say that this diner scene is on our, our, this is, our best this of is on the list. Hi, Mr. Grocer. Oh, he's brown bagging it today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so Steve takes issue with Kenneth saying that he wants Martin to go ahead and do his job so they can do their job and get out of there. I mean, these guys are kind of wishy-washy about the killing and like, I'm yeah. not a cold-blooded assassin. Um, I feel like they're yeah, kind of so, just there for some jokes. You know, they're, they're not totally sketched out as like real people. Or just like second level antagonists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So inside Martin has a tiny booth. He's got like gun and an ankle holster. The two of them are instantly on edge. Um, this, this scene alone might be the best thing Dan Aykroyd's ever done in his career. Easy there, Chief. I don't see hollow point wound on the menu. Um, yeah, and Grocer gives his order, which is all like very specific, you know, like uh, poached eggs, crack off the milky white stuff, hash browns, well done. Whole grave pancakes, yeah. It, and then Martin's order is just an egg white omelet. Yeah, and she's like, well, what do you want in the omelet? He's like, nothing. She's like, well, it's technically not an omelet. Look, I don't want to get a semantics discussion. I just want the protein. Yeah, this very bubbly waitress. Uh, and Grocer's just like I heard about that little blow up at the Ultimar that was a rip and wicked shame so they start talking finally about Boudreaux and how this like dog got killed by an accident with the targets his, his targets like the, were flushing game with dynamite and like they'd like rented a golden retriever who presumably went and got the dynamite that they threw yeah yeah um, poodle pumper hound hitter pooch puncher 
And then just the uh, like uh, like uh, John Cusack calls out that I know that you call those NSA goons on me. Me? Go G. Go G on you? Never. Never. Yeah. Uh, so again, he's like trying to make the pitch for him to join the union. And John Cusack, the hitman, has to remind Grocer what a lone gunman is. Yeah. Lone gunman, course, man. I don't want to go to meetings. Then that's a great fucking line. It's like turns antagonist between the two of them. I'm going to pull a bolt in your fucking head forehead. And then I'm going to fuck the brain hole. Just as the waitress is coming over. All right. So who had the Nada omelet? And he just like drops it on the ground. She's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So they, they like don't quite pull guns, but they're starting to. So Cusack uses the drop in the omelet as a distraction as he backs out of the thing. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, so Martin's back at the hotel. He's freaking out. He has Marcella get uh, Dr. Oatman on the phone for him. Uh, why is doing that? He's like putting the tie on, talking to himself. Oh, of course, I got the this... dialogue here. Oh, please do. Hi, I'm a uh, pet psychiatrist. I sell couch insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I test market positive thinking. I think a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Yeah. So we should say he's, he's trying out yeah, yeah. Like, the, the talking to people at the reunion. You look great. God, yeah. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? How are you? Martin Blank, remember me? I'm not married. Don't have any kids. I'd blow your head off if somebody paid me enough. And I think he finally concludes with "You're a handsome devil." What's your name? Yeah, very suave. It's like an American James Bond here. Yeah, he gets on the phone of Oatman, who um, Oatman's whole thing is just like, "This is me." I am breathing. at home with the me. Yeah, yeah. Um, as he's like eating a burrito, <laughs> talking to Martin. So he considers taking his gun of him, then leaves it. You know, he's like, "This, this is me breathing." Um, the whole yeah, time we're cutting to Debbie who's like waiting by the window and, and thinking is he doing it again <laughs> is he standing me up and he ultimately will be late because she said 7 and he gets her 722 mm-hmm. uh, the movie does this weird drama thing like is he not going to come is it in time there's like a kind of what I think is first meant to be a fake out where somebody else is in is, is answers near the phone as it's ringing in his hotel room and they, they pick up the invitation for the reunion yeah yeah so that's um, Felix Lapubelle, presumably. Yeah. Uh, I love um, that he brings her flowers and she's like, I'll just find some rubbing alcohol to put these in. Yeah. Uh, so she's just like, oh, my dad's on the Hollywood Meets You. This, again, another top scene mm-hmm. uh, when he meets the dad. Uh, Mr. Newberry is like, that's like that. did I have you figured wrong? And Martin's like, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I visualize you in a haze. It's one of those slacker, flannel-wearing coffeehouse misanthropes I've been seeing on Newsweek. No, 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 no. I went the other way. Or down the other road, six figures doing business of lead pipe cruelty, sports and sex, no real relationships with anybody. Yeah, uh, you know me, Martin. Still the same old sellout, exploiting the oppressed. Sure. Ah, oh, what a piece of work is man. How noble. Ah, fuck it. Let's have a drink and forget the whole damn thing. Good plan. Good plan. This is the uh, this is the father-in-law that you want. Totally, man. <laughs> Oh, so of course, this is the third and final. Like, uh, so what have you been doing for your life? And Martin's like, professional killer. And Mr. Newberry's like, ah, good for you. It's a growth industry. Mm-hmm. No one takes them seriously. Uh, so they leave and we get some uh, we get some old school faith no more as they pull up to the reunion. Yeah, the NSA guys are watching him and kind of speculating on the relationship. Oh, she's definitely, you know, he's definitely fallen for her. And then, like, well, Mr. Trick is just like, her hair looks really nice. Yeah, such a weird line. <laughs> and then Debbie kind of turns around like she doesn't want to go in. They're like, nope, he's using her. What a cruel bastard. I'm going to enjoy killing this son of a bitch. And then, uh, uh, great line here. This great exchange. I should have worn a skirt. I should have brought my gun. What? Should be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It almost becomes a different movie at this portion. Mm-hmm. And also going into this rewatch in my memory or my mind or whatever, 
I always feel like the high school reunion portion is longer. I mean, it goes for a while, but I think it's, it's about 20 minutes. The, the This is, I, I, I don't know if I could call this a moment because it stretches for a while, but like the mingling that they do at the reunion just feels like A plus solid. Like yeah. just nailed it 100%. You've got Aha playing Take On Me. There's like so all these songs. all these kind of like boring conversation about careers that they keep having with everyone they run into. There's kind of like this kind of forced, like amped up breeziness where everyone's yeah. just like kind of talking too fast and they're kind of selling themselves to each other at the same time. Like it's so it accurately captures that vibe of reunion. Like it's it's so good. Like everything about this reunion, like these 20 minutes of movie, it's like perfect. Like pretty much like I feel like the movie peaks here almost too much. Where like the yeah. end of it, you're just kind of like, whatever, let's, we already got the best part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, then I feel like everything after this is shorter than it actually is mm-hmm. because this feels so, or my, my, my memory, this takes up so much more of the movie. Yeah. Arlene is like running the, the, the name badges desk or whatever. She's put the high school yearbook photos on there. Like we said earlier, Martin's could straight up be from better off dead. Um, it like, I don't know. It's weird for me to see this in high school. I have to wonder how much it informed my, not making certain connections in formative years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Because how like, much did this movie fuck me up? Well, like in my mindset, did I think like what would be the point? I'm just going to drift away from these people anyway. Well, I, I think there's uh, something to be said about us watching this movie and and Martin Blank and thinking like, yep, that's the role model right there. Yeah, <laughs> that guy yeah. seems like a well-adjusted human being. I want to be like him when I grow up. Yeah. So once inside, Martin Debbie race for the bar. They run into Carlos Jacot as Ken, of course, the guy who would end up in a lot of Joss Whedon TV shows, but That's also right, yeah. Noah Baumbach movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Kicking and Screaming. Uh, Ken's like, he's like given the card. He's like, I do divorce mainly some properties and personal injury. And Martin's like, they all seem kind of related. Well, it's like the, the way they're so amped up and the way they talk to each other. It's all very fast and like trying to be like breezy and light and funny with each other. Uh, yeah. And kind of like moving constantly, you know, we got to keep keep going so we don't get stuck with anyone for too long. I love when Nathaniel Boy. comes up and he's like introducing to his like his boys, like his uh, his wrestlers he's going to manage. He's like strictly they're, Greco-Roman, man, all torso. They're big, man. They're real big. Yeah. The, the guy that like junk, he's like just like he mm-hmm. comes up out of that where he just gets him like an arm lock and on the ground. But also uh, rather than a card, Ken gives him a pen. Yes. Be important later. Special client. Uh, and Nathaniel's also like. Hey, does this? Do you recognize this? I'm not sensing a lot of remorse here, man. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, that was you. How funny. Yeah, there's Jenna Elfman in Intense Body Brace. I which think this I believe, was her first role. I before Dimer and Greg. I think so. Yeah, I believe this is a reference to Joan Cusack in Sixteen Candles. It could be. I guess she's in a neck brace and she's describing like basically, uh, you know, like the the experience of dying or whatever. I was sucked up into the cosmos. Surrounded by these yowling nebulous forms, and, and they're just like, "What?" Because <laughs> like they kind of so, come in the middle of the conversation. Just like Mozart, music, flowers, and poetry. So then, Martin's line here is my entire energy of mm-hmm. the nineties, late nineties. Was to he turns to Deb and he says, "Want to go somewhere else? Somewhere else?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, Debbie goes out so, to see drunk Amy and. Uh, Mark talks just, to Paul. Yeah, he runs into Paul. The, uh, hi, Jenny Slater. Hey, Jenny Slater. Hi, Jenny Slater. Hey, Jenny Slater. Hey, Jenny Slater. Well, I was looking for some validation in my life, but apparently came up short. <laughs> I, uh, I hate that I relate to Paul so much here. But just the, the had 11 classes with you, did the precious metal save for you. And that way she's just like, she recognizes it. She she's goes, just like, oh. 
Just, and he just chases after yeah. her. Well, and he has this whole thing about he's like kind of ranting after Ginny Slater leaves. He's like ranting to Martin about how like people, you know, it's like you can't evolve. And then like Jenny Slater walks by and he just like stops mid thought and chases her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, he can't evolve. Well, then Terry shows up and he's like flashing he's like talking about something like right he's must be on something he's talking he's about how like, they, like they put like honor society on the uh the little name tags they have like it fucking matters like 10 years later he's just like hey man check out this and he holds up his gun in the most funny <laughs> way he like brings it back down. Like, check it out and we've gone through in this time period take on me to walk like an egyptian to under pressure uh martin goes the under pressure simple- is like the cherry on the top of this whole scene here well, because this this scene is like almost too fucking good and poignant for this movie or any other, where he sits with this woman who's like got her baby, her her newborn. And she's like telling him like like everything you've heard about marriage being horrible and your life being over is wrong. It's mm-hmm. so much more fuller. Uh, it's just she's like, "How are you? How's your life?" And he's just like, "Oh, in progress." No one's really asked me that. <laughs> in progress, yeah. So like he's like holding her baby for, her, and like the baby just like smiles as like like you know David Bowie sings, and like kids mean nothing to me and i was like holy fucking shit this kid is cute as goddamn i mean i don't know watching this as a 16 year old versus watching to it now like i feel like it it, it hits even harder like just the the wonder that martin is showing here at this baby and like he's he's finally maturing you know i mean in the most basic way to put it he's like suddenly realizing that uh, there's more to life than he thought there was and he cut to debbie watching him it's another moment of debbie kind of seeing him seem like he's he's evolved and grown as a person you know yeah i mean this fucking moment has never left me mm-hmm. since i first watched oh it. and you got under pressure playing in the background like yeah. at the bridge like it's it's perfect well and just the best use of this song ever mm-hmm. um yeah so uh he passes robbie the baby over to debbie at one point he takes a picture of her with his uh He's, yeah, specifically went and got like a like an East German spy camera for this. But it's like they're almost like they're trying out the concept of being a normal family or mm-hmm. trying that out. And then uh, Bob Seppolo shows up drunk off his ass. Oh, also the guy that they're talking Debbie to before Radio. Bobby Beamer. Oh, the, uh, the guy Dan Ostrowski or whatever this guy's name is. Well, it's like this is probably like a guy they like from high school. And like how meaningless this encounter is it just fascinates me. But yeah, Bobby Beamer is Michael Cudlitz. He's in a fuck ton of shows. He's Andalusia's partner in loss. He's I, on Clarice now. He has his head bashed in and walking dead. He's a guy who also has hair that Jeanette's brother on Cruel Summer will grow up to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the um the detail in the background. There's like a couple here where it's like a, a the wedding a couple prom or not prom a wedding dress. Yeah, uh, did they just yeah. come from a wedding? Is this just like a weird joke that she's wearing yeah. in a wedding dress? I don't know. But it feels right. So like Bob's just like he turns to Debbie. He's just like, "You want to go out and do some blow?" And she's like, "Oh, what an incredibly sweet gesture!" But I have to pass. Mm-hmm. And Martin's like, "Hey, Bob, it's me from high school." And Bob just comes and like gets right in his face, like just like uh, drunk goggles on. Like for like a beat and a half, and then he just says, "I'm drawing a complete blank." <laughs> and it's like clearly there is something between these guys back in the day. We don't know what. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, then then Bobby Beamer tries to go get Jenny Slater's space. Yeah, and she's just like pushes him away. She's like, "Get away from me." Yeah. I feel like there's so, like Mark- all these. I I really do wonder because apparently they shot a lot in this movie. Like, is there just like more storylines happening in the background here with the other attendees of the reunion? 
I mean, as the Netflix show, I always complain that Netflix seasons have that one episode. It's a complete flashback. Episode. I don't like. I don't even like to think of this as a potential Netflix show. Like, tell me this is a potential like HBO show or something. But what, you know, a, like, what a streaming show? Yeah. But like, I would almost be totally fine with a variety of flashback episodes because it's it presents oh, like such yeah. a rich world. I mean, like Lost, for, basically. Yeah. Yeah. For for what a silly movie it is, or it, it seems to be on the surface. Like there's such a rich. Well, it seems like they they really over. spent a lot of time figuring out who these characters were between scenes and like who they yeah. were in high school. And it's like it's not necessarily in the movie, but it's there's enough oblique references to stuff and like the way they play things that it's like oh, there's all this history here that we're like we're just happen to be seeing like a slice of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark and Debbie find like a quiet spot, like in the upper seats of this auditorium, like where they're watching the reunion play out and they're chatting it out while let my love open the door plays by uh, what we would later find out would be a guy who's interested in kitty porn. Um, he tells her he's had, you know, many recurring dream about her and she's like, well, I may have been wrong about you yesterday. Maybe you're not broken. Just, mildly sprained and then great uh, exchange here i'm sorry if i fucked up your life and she's like it's not over yet not over yet yeah Yeah. had that exchange many times um so she just wants to check that he doesn't have a wife in arkansas (laughs) (laughs) so they go to dance and i love the detail here as everyone's dancing that uh paul is dancing with jenny slater so i guess he made made it happen Several times when we cut back, like he dances. Well, she has dances. his coat later. Like she's holding it for him. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah. I want more of that story. Like how, how did that go down? Also, I want to know who the girl that Ken is dancing with. Cause he's getting real freaky on her, but she's like, she's not even looking real, at him. No, she's, she's dancing with him, but she's doing some real stiff moves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some white people hilariously dancing. Bob is just cinema. like roaming around kind of like everyone's avoiding him you know it's like he's just yeah. like walking through the dance uh i can't remember the her name but the like the lady who is like giving out the name tags is dancing arlene. with nathaniel here yeah yeah arlene um so martin debbie find their way to the nurse's office to fuck uh but before they fuck i love this bit where she's like oh wait there's something missing and she pauses and then she slaps him across yes. the face and then says welcome home and they go at it <laughs> And then your favorite line from Felix Lapubel, it is I, Sidney Feldman. And I know he is saying it is I, mm-hmm. but I've always heard it as tis, tis I. I. Yeah. <laughs> Arlene here, does it look like she was crying or something at the beginning of the scene? Yes. Yes. Like I, I want to know what's happening here. Yeah, what's what's Arlene's like? Life she said like? she has three kids. Is she still married? Did she get divorced? Yeah. Like, really. What's going on? And she's like like a little uh, a little attracted to Felix LaPupelle. Yeah, they've been overseas, I guess. <laughs> Boy, you have changed. <laughs> uh, we get a quick little cutaway of Bobby Beamer shaking out of the dance floor until he falls over. Yeah, well, this is where Jenny Slater is holding Paul's coat as he like walks over to her without his coat on. I'm just like, what? I, I, I want those scenes. I want to know how that evolves from, hey, Jenny Slater, hey, Jenny Slater. And you're going, well, almost to the uh, point. Paul, why are you leaving Jenny Slater to go upstairs to check on Martin? Yeah, yeah. I know, man. And Paul, like, forget about them, man. Yeah, yeah. Your buddy's good. Mm-hmm. He's fine. Um, so after the health office, uh, uh, rumble tumble, Debbie goes to say goodbye to some people because they're going to bounce. Um, you know, Martin's going to cruise by his old locker before they leave, but he runs into Bob, who's once like drunkenly antagonize him. And Martin diffuses me too with like, uh, do you really believe that there's some sort of conflict that exists between us? There is no us. We don't exist. So who do you want to hit, man? Because it's not me. 
And so Bob pulls out his poetry. Well, and meanwhile, Debbie's watching this from the end of the hall, like he unaware, you know, Martin's unaware of this. And it's, it's another moment of seeing the, you know, maturity or evolution or whatever of Martin as a person, you know, yeah. you can tell it's like all the, the math that's going on in her head. Like, is this really a good idea? You know, like who knows, you know, what this guy's like, like, should I let him back into my life? And it's like, well, he seems like he's a good guy. Yeah. So like Bob starts reading a few lines and, and apparently this in the script, he's supposed to do the whole poem. When I feel Martin's blue. Just like, yeah, Martin's just like, give me the last line, man. And the guy's just like, the last line is for a while. Wait, 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 wait. For a while. For a while. <laughs> and then, do you want to do some blow? No, I do not. <laughs> really, I like it a lot. I wouldn't sell the dealership or anything, but tell me that's intense. <laughs> but he like hugs him and says he missed him and it's like, okay, what is this dynamic exactly? Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Paul still with Jenny Slater. Uh, Mark goes up to his locker, past a handwritten banner that says the future is unwritten. There's a lot of handwritten banners in this hallway, which is going to be important. Breaks in his old locker, finds like a, a joint that he's stashed in there somewhere. It's like ancient, so he crumbles that up. And then he turns, and there's Felix Lafayette. Mean, could, could you say there's something about this locker room bit with him crumbling the joint? He, I, it's like he's accepting his former self or something like that. Or it's like he's at peace up. with it and growing up at the same time. Yeah. And like letting it, letting it, letting it fade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Felix Lapubel just appears, and we get like a frankly awesome kickboxing fight here, which um, I didn't know this, but apparently, like among like um, I don't know, like fight scene and like stunt aficionados, this is a very highly regarded scene. Like this is doing a lot of the stuff that you would get popular later in like the Bourne movies, like very realistic fight moves, like Cusack's doing all his own stunts. Like this is like a weirdly like next level fight scene in the middle of this like comedy well, for the I, most part. In retrospect, I don't really care for say anything, mm-hmm. but like Lloyd Doppler's like a weird kickboxing dude in that movie. But uh, this scene is fascinating too, just because there's no stunt doubles. Like it's these two guys up close. Like there's some moves happening where I could definitely feel like, okay, there's nothing where it's really going to hurt John Cusack filming this movie, but like still, we see his face mm-hmm. in all of these scenes. Like, yeah, and really he's doing, doing those kicks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, mirror in the bathroom by the English beat is playing. So Martin eventually gets the upper hand and kills this dude up against his locker With by stabbing Ken's pen neck into his neck. Yeah. And that's when Debbie comes around the corner and sees this as he's well, just, just like holding the pen. The heartbreak after seeing all of those instances of like, oh, I can trust Martin. He's, he seems like he's a good person now. It's okay to let him back into my life. And there he is, like, murdering someone. <laughs> yeah. And he he has this callback line from the guy in Miami of, it's not me. Because uh, this is not who he wants to be, obviously. Debbie runs away screaming times. as Paul's running up to check on their boy. Like, Paul, what, what are you doing, man? Like, yeah, Jenny Slater's down there. Yeah, seriously. Also, 99 Left Balloons is playing. It's like, Paul, this might be the only night in your life that you have a chance at Jenny Slater. Like, something's going right for you. Like, mm-hmm. go for it. Mm-hmm. What, are you just going to go brag to Martin? Yeah. <laughs> waste, waste time. So he comes up and finds them. Um, Martin instantly goes to work and starts, like, pulling down banners so they can wrap this guy's body. There is hilarious framing here where Martin directs Paul to, like, pull down one banner above them. And you can't see out of screen what had to be the trampoline <laughs> that I'm sure Piven is I jumping was, on. The I, I got to look up Piven's height now because, yeah, 60 versus what here? Because Piven is not mm-hmm. that tall. I guarantee it. Yeah, when he's, like, jump up there, I'm like, how's he going to jump up? Yes, yeah, yeah. 5'9", uh, no way. He's, like, 5'7". 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a Hollywood back. five nine for sure. <laughs> it's a it's a Robert Downey Jr. five nine. <laughs> with, yeah, with wearing bell bottoms to hide his uh, list. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Tony Stark always wear pants like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was rewatching the end of some of like Avengers movie, and I was like, you can really cool to see make it him walk. in a Infinity War. Well, it's like it's cruel to make him walk alongside Chris Evans. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, so they get this body wrapped up and they like drag it down the stairs like it's nothing. Well, ninety nine you know, love like, balloons like, is playing like it's it's in it like the way the music is edited in this where like the song will have been playing for a while but it hits the crescendo just at the right moments. You know, yeah. like it comes in, uh, it's perfect. And, and let me clarify: they're not dragging the body around like it's nothing. It's not like a light we can. Yeah, it's very heavy. But like, like, like it means nothing. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like banging his head into things or whatever. <laughs> uh, down, taking it down to the boiler room, which I do not recall any of my high school. I just remember thinking, had. dang, like what an easy way to get rid of a body at your high school. They've got a boiler room, yeah. just like bing, bang, boom, and you're done. Yeah. So then this is great shot of the two of them walking back on the dance floor, like shirt collars open, sweaty, bloody. Me watching this just, at sixteen and being like, that's what I want. This is what I want in my life. This right here. Yeah. Yeah, as it's like the dead end of the party. The only time I think I've ever really felt this vibe so accurately captured before was what was the best season finale of Venture Brothers at the oh, end of the, yes. the dance? Yeah, yeah with yeah. the, uh, what's the name of the band that did that song? Oh, it's Pulp. Pulp it's Pulp, yeah. like a friend. Mm-hmm. That may that maybe should have been the last episode of the show. It could have easily I mean, been, yeah. Apparently they're um, still yeah. making that show or something. No, they canceled it. No, I think they like said that like they canceled it, but then they're like, oh, maybe we're going to like make more of it anyway. I don't know. Do not fuck with me when you say that. I, I'm, I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure they don't, there's like don't play there's still hope for more emotions. Venture Brothers. I say don't play with my goddamn emotions like that. At this point, though, I do want them to end it, so I'm not like being jerked around mm-hmm. about when we're getting more seasons. Um, what a great show about male fragility. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so they order drinks. Um, and this scene, John Cusack looks exactly like he did and say anything to me. Like he just looks ageless. Also, I wanted to pay john cusack movies because he does he does uh um uh, what's the fucking one with the 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 con air oh yeah you know he's mm-hmm. he's an identity but like really to me like i'm talking about the movies where he's also behind the scenes so you've got this high fidelity and serendipity right maybe the grifters maybe must love dogs yeah i don't know i haven't seen some but like of the, the like the steve pink mm-hmm. john cusack yeah. pivot movies um, uh, real time follow up. Uh, it was announced in May of this year that there is a direct video uh, Venture Brothers thing coming that will conclude the story. Oh, beautiful, magnificent! With uh, Doc Hammer and the other guy, Jackson presumably, Hummer. yeah, yeah, they're doing it for HBO. It looks like I want to say Public is like doing some other show that that I've heard of, but he's like doing it under his real name. Oh right, right, right yeah. Anyway, uh, Paul asks, you know, Martin again, what he does for a living. And Martin doesn't answer because it's like. You already told you, buddy. You know, mm-hmm. you know. And so he's like, you know, because Paul is just like, also, I've been sent here on behalf of the plot mm-hmm. or, and, you know, the emotional stakes of the movie. What now? I'll chase the girl. And Martin's well, just like, if you see Debbie, tell her that I'm sorry. Meanwhile, behind him, uh, Ken is just like chilling there. <laughs> and so Ken at the looks- end of the scene, he can turn to him and be like, fix the pen, Ken. Yeah, Ken looks like he's just faced the dark abyss, which is going back to your high school reunion and expecting something good to happen. Yeah, yeah, and it just didn't quite. Also, another thing that I'd I'd, I'd want to do at some point in my life, like I need this, is to like go over to a bar, like a wedding or some sort of you know public uh, event, and like get a bunch of ice from the bartender and put it in a napkin and just like hold it to my yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. 
What a cheat. I'm surprised life has not delivered you that opportunity yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mark goes back to his hotel room, gets uh, flips through the channels for, while calling Doctor Oatman. But you to take a deep Oatman. breath and realize that this is me firing you. <laughs> well, we see Oatman on the other end of this call. He's like trying to unplug the thing because he has a patient there sobbing. What the fuck is going on in this scene? Is this a patient? On what time like, of day is it? It's like yeah. nine or ten at night at least. Is he like trying to sleep with this woman? Like, what is going on in this scene? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a knock at Martin's hotel room door. It's Debbie. She needs to know that that was self-defense that she witnessed. And so he's explaining to her that for like five years now, he's been a hitman. And she's like, you were joking. People joke about the horrible things they do. They don't do them. That's absurd. She talks about I was in the army. He took a test and his psych profile fit a certain moral flexibility. Yeah. He's a 16-year-old nodding along. Um, and she calls him a psychopath. And he says, a psychopath kills for no reason. I kill for money. It's a job that didn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. Well, just the, the little bits where he's like he's like stammering and like mm-hmm. going off on the wrong tangents. He's like, "Oh, so you're a government spook?" Yes, I mean, no, I was before, but I, not now. I mean, it's all irrelevant, really. The idea of government nations is it's public relations theory at this point. She's like, "I don't want to hear about the theories. I want to hear about the dead people. Explain the dead people. Who do you kill?" And he's uh, like, "Well, you know, everyone's got a thing. You know, unchecked aggression. It'll free or die." That was <laughs> unchecked aggression was his thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he tells her, you know, usually it's it's bad people whose doorway he darkens. He tells her he's trying to get out, and that's why he came to see her. And she's like, oh, so I'm part of your romantic new beginning. Well, he has uh, this line where he's like, let me put it this way. If I show up at your door, like something brought me there or something like that. It's like, it, it's like sounds completely psychotic the way he says it. Because he's like whispering yeah. when he says it. Yeah, yeah. It's a demon's resume. Um, and she's like, you so, don't get to have me. And it's like, it's fucking Well, she, she asked this great question, which is like, why did you never learn that this was wrong? Uh, so meanwhile, Marcella is joyfully spraying gasoline all over the office and hammering CPUs. While wearing a giant hot pink trench coat. And so just like call- just the noises she's making as she's throwing computers around and shit. Like when it's like as if she hadn't already like crushed every scene she's in. She's going out on a high note. They're just her. I'm taking down the office now. <laughs> so just, he's like, look under your desk. I something for you. It's profit sharing. It's like a stack of what's got to be like, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand. They just saran wrap brick yeah. of cash. Well, it's it's ominous. He's just like, settle everything up and I'll finish up here and then I'll find you. And she's like, what? And he's like, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and after she, uh, he hangs up, she just goes, all right. With like a cigarette in her hand and the money in the other <laughs> while she's spraying gasoline she's smoking yes uh he finally opens up the red folder but not before saying you're a handsome devil what's your name dumb fucking and luck he sees his target dumb fucking luck it's debbie's dad uh so he's debbie's dad's out jogging the next morning about to be shot by a sniper rifle from grocer in a van how does debbie's dad not see this van it's not that fucking far away yeah you're like what are those guys doing and this this great just musical cue of like Lorca's Nevena playing by the Pogues. Um, and so Martin just like drives up. Like, I think this is a trope that lasted all the way to like the pilot of Alias, but like the the car pulling up and being like, get in, mm-hmm. get in, you know, like um, so he rescues him and they, they drives him back to the house. And Martin points out that Bart must have done some real naughty shit in his life because his contract taken out for him. He's like, believe me, I know because I was hired to kill you, but I'm not going to do it. Either because I'm in love with your daughter, or I have a newfound respect for life. And then Grocer says, <laughs> I know that punk is, uh, is in love with that guy's daughter. He has a newfound respect for life. 
I love the way Grocer like hands out his weird drugs. I think we forgot to mention that earlier. It's like Duracac 17 or whatever it is. It's legal. Wait, earlier, put it in the water in five years, like fluoride. <laughs> I don't do this. I, I ingest it on orders from a neurophysiologist. Make Prozac feel like a decaf latte. So Bart's like, read the folder. And he's like, my whole life. And Martin's like, well, hopefully not. Mm-hmm. So we find out that it sounds like Mar- or Bart... Bart Newberry is a whistleblower for some kind of car company. And he was like basically testifying about a leaky sunroof. Yeah. Something like that. So Martin takes him back to the house so they can basically siege up. And uh, Debbie's Debbie, like, what the fuck is he doing here? Yeah. Yeah. So that explains that people trying to kill him because of his testimony. Martin saved his life as Martin's like opening his suitcase. And then there's basically two monologues here. Do you want to do one and I'll do the other? Um, I'll try to do one. I don't really have the, the thing, but he says, I was sitting there, does Martin speaking, I was sitting there alone on a prom, alone prom night in a goddamn rented tuxedo and the whole night flashed before my eyes. And I realized finally, and for the first time, uh, that I wanted to kill somebody. So I figured since I loved you, it'd be good if I didn't see you anymore. Yeah. So car pulls up outside and he's just like, they're right behind us. So I was in the Gulf last year. I was doing this thing. Anyway, I came over this dune. I saw the ocean. It was on fire. The whole thing on fire. It was beautiful. So I just sat there and I watched it. And that's when I realized there might be a meaning to life, you know, like an organic power that connects all living things. God, Yahweh, I don't know. And as we hear like these, like, he just like shoots two rounds through the door. We hear like, like footsteps, footsteps going. Yeah, he just like shoots two rounds through the door. What, is, what does it say about me as a teenager that when he's talking about like realizing he wanted to kill someone, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Normal, normal. Well, and, and I respect it. It was like, I have this urge to kill. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should get away from my loved ones. <laughs> Well, yeah, like the. Did you, did you catch the, a detail of who he, he shoots there on the other side of the which door? One, which one is it? So he fires a couple shots through the door because you hear like the tire screech and the footsteps. And then later, uh-huh. Debbie and her dad go and open the door and look out, and it's fucking Terry. Terry oh, didn't learn his lesson. You didn't get a call, Terry. Why are you lingering around? Terry came up to be a hero and got shot by Martin through the door. Oh, is it Terry? I always thought I was one of those guys. R.I.P. Terry, okay. man. Wow, wow. I also love that the movie is just like, that's a really cool gesture, John. We're not sure the entire audience got mm-hmm. how good you are at like, like the situational awareness. But anyways, this monologue that he does, or these two monologues stitched together, this is where I was like, why the fuck has Richard Linklater never seized upon Cusack for a project? Yeah. They would be fucking great together. Go go make well, some... Cusack, the last thing I saw him in was you, that awful you shoot utopia like, like three thing. scenes every year. Yeah. Well, because Cusack just, he does a lot of work for hire. Yeah, I don't know. that I, He was like playing this weird doctor in that Utopia show. And it's like, this is like beneath you. And I feel like a lot of people probably groan when they think about identity. I feel like that's a movie that it's probably you and I both identity love. Identity rules. I love that movie. Even uh, if it's absurd. It's, it's absolutely absurd. But like, I was on the fucking edge of my seat in the theater watching mm-hmm. that ridiculous movie. Totally. Um but I think Cusack always, his movies, he always gets the actors that I wouldn't take seriously anywhere else and he gives them a chance. Mm-hmm. Like Piven and like uh, uh, Jake Busey in Identity. <laughs> um, so Martin goes to kill the guy in the kitchen. Debbie and her dad check that body. Uh, there's a nice move in the kitchen where Martin just like opens the stainless steel fridge to block some bullets. And then he like finishes this guy off with a frying pan after shooting him and looks up and it's like, Debbie, I'm in love with you. <laughs> Well, talk about the overkill. He shoots the fuck out of the guy, mm-hmm. whacks him with the frying pan, shoots him some more, and then beats him on the ground with the frying right, what pan. I, what I took away from this movie is, as far as the, the profession of hitman is concerned, you need to be sure. 
Like once in the head is not enough. You need to be fucking sure. Well, exhibit A, Mm -hmm. every scream movie. Yeah. Uh, Exhibit B, like I think John Wick is just like put a bullet in the head excessively. I mean, I feel like John Wick's shooting these guys a little too much too. But uh, yeah, I think that's a hitman thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll take that as market research from hit the hitman field. Checks out. Yeah. So. So he starts telling Debbie he loves her, just like you know him pushing down his emotions. So he's rushing the, the the two of them upstairs to hide in the bathroom, and he's like, "I just need some time to change." He says before like unloading the last of his clips and some guy. Um. So the Debbie and her dad hide in the bathroom with the, with the door locked, and Martin can hear Grocer downstairs, and they worship the beast. And they said, "Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him?" I mean, this this final what? gunfight it almost feels a little anticlimactic, just because we had that awesome fight with Felix Lapubel. You know, like yeah. that was definitely the climax here. And this is kind of like, all right, we got in the movie. You know? Yeah. And this, this quote, which I've always assumed was a, a Lord of the Flies riff, but it's actually from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the grocer just says like these, these little non sequiturs, like it smells like a wedding down here. Uh, Martin comes back downstairs. He seemingly killed all the other guys. And then uh, he's about to fight Grosher here, but then the, the NSA guys show up and they kind of like team up to shoot those guys together and say, workers of the world unite. It's like fucking Bonnie and Clyde here, the mm-hmm. way they just like lit up with bullets. I mean, um, so what do these guns hold? Like twenty five bullets in a clip or seemingly. something? Like seemingly, but they're out, so they reload. Grocer tries to trick Martin, and he's like, "The because Martin's like, yes. out. Yeah, he's out of ammo. Yeah. I'll sell you one for a hundred thousand. He throws like a clip over the thing. Is going to shoot Martin, but Martin's like unplugged. He's unplugged the TV. Nineties, great, great mid nineties, great time for killing people with like a TV to the head. Yeah. And yet, Grocer is seemingly electrocuted. Well, yeah, because the the what's called the I can't even say capacitor, 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 Um, flux capacitor. Yeah, that'll kill you, man. You got to be careful. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Martin's hands all bloody. He's like going back upstairs. He's like doing like a mini Bruce Willis and Die Hard thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he goes back up to Debbie and her father, and he's like, "I want you to think about this. You don't have to answer me now, but Debbie." Will you marry me? The dad just lifts his head up from the tub where they're hiding. It's like, you've got my blessing. I like the way she almost shoots him when he first opens the door. Yeah. So she's stunned. And and I, I feel like this is where you could unlock that this doesn't check. But like, I feel like emotionally, we're ready for the movie to be over. We're okay with it. Mm-hmm. So Blister and the Sun comes back. Oh, the way she just, just like, she stares at him in shock and just like reaches over the gun and like closes the door on him. Yeah. With the, with the barrel of the gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like a ridiculous gun, or like it's a handgun of like a like a laser. It's like one of those guns that like Cash would have in Tango and Cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we hear "Bliss in the Sun" again as Martin and Debbie are driving out of town, and we get her radio voiceover. And like I said, I feel like you could unpack and like go into a lot more of like Debbie getting to a yes if you want. I mean, to. Uh, does Martin get off a little too easy with Debbie for all his moral yeah. depravity? Maybe, well, also, but like it's a movie. It's the end of the movie, you know legally how do they walk away from this bloodbath it's just you don't think about it you never mention it yeah how do yeah, they explain so this we don't care she's like some people say forgive and forget eh i don't know i say forget about forgiving and just accept and get the hell out of town blister and son I plays mean, they drive off he takes a photo of her with a real camera and that's a movie yeah. what a it's nice a romance i never watched that war inc movie which is supposed to be like a spiritual sequel to this movie yeah, it seemed that way, but I. Uh, yeah, it just I don't know. It didn't get good reviews, and so I was like, "I'll pass." Is Miles Teller in that movie? Uh, no. You think of a different movie with him as like some sort of arms dealer? I think oh, he's in a movie with like Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
like war dogs or something. War right? dogs, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a real film, Jack. Feels good. It's kind of crazy, don't you think, that both Boogie Nights and Big Lebowski didn't make it into our '90s movie month? Well, I mean, they're different kinds of movies, I guess. You know. True, 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 mm-hmm. true. All right. Well, um, make one change. I honestly could not think of anything really. Um, punch up the scenes of Doctor Oatman, or r- remove the other two, and like maybe the stuff with the two NSA agents. Um, other than that, just this could easily be a TV show premise on 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 a Comedy Central or an HBO Max or whatever. Well, I didn't know this, but Drunk Amy is played by another Cusack. There's like five Cusacks in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Um, what is your best and worst piece of IMDb trivia? So real quick, I, I, I have one that isn't, I don't think, in IMDb, but a piece of trivia I saw repeated a lot in various like discussions of this movie is that apparently at some point they asked Danny Trejo, like, who would you not fuck with, basically? Like, who's the like, toughest dude you know who we've acted with? And he's like, Cusack. Like, watch out for that guy. So I, I find that very curious. Like, Cusack I- is like... He's like the kickboxing is for real. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beyond the 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 kiss being kind of improvised in the radio booth, I was just fascinated by the little bits on the MDB trivia where Armitage is just talking about uh, they shot like almost like three versions of every scene, so it's almost like there's like three different iterations of this movie. Yeah, that was the um, one I had. They shot three movies simultaneously. There's a the stuck to the script one. There's one that was understated, and the one that went completely over the top and, and used a lot of uh, improvisation energy. And so it was usually the third version that they used. Because I watched uh, a Nicolas Cage movie a week or two ago that I'd never seen before, Honeymoon in Vegas. And there's there is like you could I think you could make the argument that that. For certain periods of his career, Nicolas Cage is the antimatter version of mm. John Cusack. Okay. Um, because he's fucking in, he, like he's like it's like that. I feel like Donnie Moon in Vegas was like meant to be a more low key script, and like uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage was like, oh, 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 you know. Um, yeah, he can do Vegas or yeah, yeah. What's it called an Elvis? Yeah, he he goes uh, skydiving with some Elvises. They don't actually honeymoon in Vegas in the movie. It's fair. There's no honeymoon that's in Vegas. No, and one third of the way in the movie, they they leave because it, it's basically the uh, a comedic version of a decent proposal. Mm, interesting. And Con takes. Uh, Isn't there like action in it though? Not as much. No, not really. Mm. He takes Sarah Jessica Parker like to oh, Hawaii. Oh, I think it's something else. What was that other Elvis movie that Kurt Russell was in? Oh, uh, three thousand miles of Graceland. That's right. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. With like Billy Bob, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember what the movies were and are better or worse. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Jurassic either. Park. Oh, um. So is this movie? Oh wait, worst trivia first. My worst trivia. Um, uh-huh. I don't know why IMDb. Like, is there not a curator who can lead these? This blank's line. Meet the new boss in the diner breakfast scene is taken from the Who song. Won't get fooled again. John Cusack is a big fan of the Who. <sighs> Thanks for that trivia. The, the one right after it just says um, Don Cheadle was the original choice from her college, but turned down the role for unknown reasons. Probably because there was nothing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Don Cheadle in 97, he's doing Boogie Nights. He's I, he's like right at the beginning of coming up, I think. I got bad news for you, though. This is not Mrs. Peacock. 
It's not Bar- Barbara Harris. No, this oh is this is the woman who gets shot at the end. Of I would have swore in a stack of Bibles. Not that I mean anything that that was uh, Mrs. Peacock. Wow. No, this is Barbara Harris. Rocking Barbara Harris mind. is not. Yeah, this is the woman who gets shot at the end of Nashville's. Okay. Yeah, don't worry me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, the IMDb trivia is a fucking weird All right. joke. Um, is this movie better than I Am Number 4? Yes. Yes. Is this better than Jack Reacher? Yes. Yeah. Is it better than Jurassic Park? I gotta say, I, I, feel, like, I feel like it's on the same level. This movie had at least as big of an impact on me as Jurassic Park did. Oh, and uh, okay, in my taste and love for film, no. In my like real life application, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I don't know, especially after watching. Like I was in such a good Cusack vibe after watching this movie. I put on Hot Tub Time Machine, and it was like, oh man, I really like. I forgive a lot in this movie versus that. You know, like you don't need to in Gross Point Blank. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing about this movie that I don't know. I mean, is there anything really that counselable? I mean, like you could argue. I'm talking like, about that. Course. Just like just the the creativity and like the the cleverness and the wittiness of it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot yeah. of jokes in Hot Tub Time Machine that are just like pretty lame. Just like the, not the trying. The best very joke hard. in Hot Time Machine is just waiting to see how Crispin Glover loses the arm. Yeah, just Crispin Glover in general in that movie. That and whatever the fuck is going on with Sebastian Stan are the only reasons <laughs> I was really sit through and, and well, I that think, and uh, just the line we were young we had momentum yeah but i mean i think there's there is an application for uh, like the pure sleeve that cordry can nail and he's he's definitely like all the time. rising to the occasion there i just feel like i wonder what that movie would have looked like with a better writer yeah yeah also i don't need chevy chase ever yeah definitely all right. Well, that was gross point blank. What are we doing next, sir? I believe you're setting the schedule on this one. We are doing high fidelity next week. Are we doing that with anyone or just us? We will be bringing back a uh, fan favorite Kayla. Oh, we will. How oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, next week we'll be talking about high fidelity, uh, or a little duology of Cusack here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like these, these two gross point blank and high fidelity are kind of like, those are the, the apex of Cusack's career. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. well because i believe he still had like that same behind the scenes hand in serendipity but that's a straight up romantic comedy like it's i don't think it was all that well received either no it was a weird movie but uh <laughs> fidelity is uh just something it's a work of art yeah three years charlie later, you bitch let's work it out talking to the boss Good times she'll feel good maybe it's she weird that like good. con air came out like a couple months after gross point blank yeah yeah whatever all right well, i've watched gross point blank like 20 times in my life i've seen con air exactly once yeah. we'll be back next time to talk about high fidelity all right see you then bye-bye